Well, greetings and welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Hard News on Friday Nights on BBS Radio Station One. And I hear that drum calling, the calling drum. <laughs> so let's take a few moments to go into our heart space. Just take a few gentle breaths. And breathe, whatever your favorite breathing protocol is, and breathe slowly. Make those breaths intentional and full and deep. Let go of that dross of the day. Go into that heart space and gather with your guides and guardians, your spirit teams, your healing teams. Your ancestors, your totems, <laughs> whoever you like to journey with that teamy drum with. So there's a council fire and it's in the center. Let us gather around that council fire. In that virtual way we know how to do. As we call in the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition, let us begin. Welcome from the East, the House of Light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see everything from which clearly. Welcome from the north, the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. of transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. the eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruit of planetary being.
welcome from above the house of paradise where the star people and the ancestors gather may their blessings reach us now Welcome from below the house of the earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmonies so that we might end war. And we welcome from the center source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. I am Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho. I am Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho. I am Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. Imlak Ash Alakin. I am you, and you are me. <laughs> so welcome. Just stay wherever that drum beat took you. I'd like to take a few moments to take a look at the Mayan record of days for today and for the week ahead. Now, today's a very powerful day. It's an 11 ebb, the yellow spectral human, that 11 tone, that spectral tone is um along with another eleven with the as you add up the the members of our day in the calendar year, it comes to an eleven also. And it's also kin numbered two thirty two, which is a seven, and that matches our year as well. So we have a double seven and a double eleven and a bunch of twenty twos come with it's the twenty second of September at 22, and the, and the 2.11s is another 22. So it's very powerful. We're working with these great numerology with, with the day and the magic of that yellow spectral human, that spectral tone is letting go of what no longer serves this. So let's do that so we can turn the corner here. And uh, so that spectral tone is about this keywords are releasing liberation and dissolve. And um, the ebb, the human, its keywords are influence, wisdom, free will. So that gives us a mantra for today. I dissolve in order to influence, releasing wisdom. I seal the process of free will with the spectral tone of liberation. I'm guided by my own power, doubled. So that's, <clears throat> it's a double spectral day, <laughs> double human day. Um, so that's good. We're working with the twins. I'm, so the yellow human is our tone guide and our solar glyph for the day. 
And our cop power today is the red moon. Our ally for today is the blue hand. And our challenge teacher for the day is the white wind. And that's the wave we're in. We're in the wave spell of the white wind. Ish. Is the way to pronounce that? <laughs> I-K. Ish. The wind. Ish. And it sounds like wind when you say it. Ish. <laughs> you get that? Okay. So that's for... For today, let's look at that just a little bit closer, this ebb human energy. It's a healing aspect. And our work with this energy is enlightenment of humankind. So let's get busy. <laughs> let's activate that cosmic consciousness as we attune to spirit. And we embrace these gifts of being that human servant warrior. So we have that gift of abundance that comes with that and that contact with other dimensions. So let's embrace these energies today and let go of any dependence on the analytical mind as we embrace them. And then moving on to tomorrow, Saturday, it's another warrior. It's an aspect. It's Ben the Skywalker. And so that's a a 12 Ben is the red crystal, crystal Skywalker. And it's also the fall equinox. Um, as it is scheduled by whoever sets those things. It's actually an equinox, it's equal day and equal night, and we will experience that on September the 27th. But we'll pretend it's the equinox and play along. Uh, it's close enough. It's 12 hours and 4 minutes and 11 hours and 56 for the night for, for the night time. And uh, that's, we're definitely in that equinox energy. So... We're doing that with the Skywalker, which is a warrior aspect, and it's it's about focus and striving towards self-illumination and clarity. So we're clearly in fall, so let's embrace these gifts of strength and that ability to bend dimensions that that Skywalker gives us. So let us let go of any resistance to faith or any belief in aloneness as we embrace these energies on Saturday and celebrate this fall equinox with our ceremonies. Um, and that puts us in the middle of the fall fall season in the Celtic calendar. And so it is a harvest holiday as well. And uh, it's celebrated as a, as a harvest holiday as well as the equinox. And uh, very important having those days change that way um, in length. And then moving on to Sunday, it's the 13 each, the white cosmic magician. That magician is a visionary aspect. So we're working with the illumination for others with this energy and working with clarity of mind and purpose. We have these gifts of being that shaman and being that jaguar priestess woman, man, using that jaguar medicine, working with integrity and with in accordance with divine will. So let's let go of any control or personal power issues or any manipulation as we embrace these energies on Sunday. And we complete the wave of 
the wave spell of the white wind with this this energy. We've been working with spirit and listening to the voices in the wind, and we're moving on to Monday. It's it's a a new wave that we enter, and so that thirteen on Sunday is that promise of transformation as we move into the wave of the eagle. So it's the blue magnetic eagle on Monday. It's a visionary aspect, just like the the last wave was visionary. So, um, so we're working with the commitment to service, striving towards um, that commitment, moving consciousness to source, and reconnecting with all creation. So we embrace these gifts of independence, that belief in ourselves, as we let go of any feelings of despair or dissociation or the illusion of separateness. So, yes, this will be that way way where we pay attention to those details as we see that big picture and as we connect with all creation. Um, we, We elevate as well. So... Lots of gratitude for this energy, the eagle, and that commitment to service and a whole wave of it. And then moving on to Tuesday, it's a two key, the yellow lunar warrior, another warrior aspect. So we're trusting in our journey with this energy and bringing awareness of right action. And we experience the gifts of this energy as in the form of communication with the divine and access to cosmic consciousness uh, is easy, available, palpable with this energy. So let's let go of any limitation or any restriction or any hesitation as we embrace these energies on Tuesday. And then moving on to Wednesday, which is actually the equinox. (laughs) It's where we have 12 hours of night and 12 hours of day on the money, and <laughs> we do that with a three caban, the red electric earth. So look at that electric energy, that activation coming into play with the earth, the healing aspect of the earth, as we are the keepers of the earth and have that awareness of earth energy, tune in and listen and and embrace these gifts of that access to planetary harmony and being that balancing point and um, listening to our intuition and acting from our intuition. As we let go of any separation or any failure to read the signs or any dissociation, we embrace these energies on Wednesday, that that magical day of equal night and, and day, 12 hours each. And then moving on to Thursday, it's a four et style. It's a warrior aspect, and we're working on groundedness with this energy. And the et is the mirror, so it's the white self-existing mirror. That four-tone is self-existing. It's that structure. So it's a good warrior aspect. It's a time to work on groundedness and wise use of harmony, honesty, and self-understanding. That that mirror shows us who we are. <laughs> if we look at it long enough, so let's embrace these gifts of scrying the unseen and the fluidity and the persistence of 
that, which is in the mirror. So let's let go of any illusions of separateness, any fear, any abandonment, or any all illusions as we work with this self-existing mirror day on Thursday. And then Friday we come back, we have a portal day. And so it's the blue overtone storm, and it's a portal day, so it's extra dimensional, and that storm energy is a visionary aspect. So we're working with that, creating transformation for others with this energy of the storm, the blue storm, the blue overtone storm. That overtone tone is a harmonic tone, and so we're... We're working with the harmony of the situation, embracing the gifts of possibility of freedom and the power of catalyzing. So let's let go of any addiction to crisis, any despair or fear or illusion of separateness. As we embrace these energies, and we'll talk about it some more next Friday when we come back. So there you go. That's the week ahead in in the Mayan record of days. And... uh it's very powerful. Embrace these energies today. They are very powerful with the numerology and the and letting go of what no longer serves us. Let's do that uh, with that uh, spectral tone, <clears throat> and then that human assisting humans um, on their on on our path as we all are humans. <laughs> and many of us are humans. There's other humans, like the humans of the oceans would be the dolphins and the whales, so and the octopus. So we're all humans here and let's uh celebrate that and support each other as we we go through the day with this magical energy. Letting go of what no longer serves us. Let's do that. So anyway, here we are. We are a listener-supported radio program, and so I'm going to change my hat, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how we support this radio program, how we support Tara and Rollin with their work, and exactly what this program is about, because this is Radio Station 1. We've been here almost a year, maybe maybe more like 10 months. I'm not sure how long we've been on Radio Station 1, but... Maybe a lot of you don't know who Tara and Raman are and what they do and why we need to support them. <laughs> For one, they can't not work into the system. And Raman is one of these people that is, and is connected with a lot of white knights. So he keeps 44 of them kind of on the page, and they kind of keep him on the page. And he, he's the voice of the people. He's uh, our spokesperson, and they're... The White Knights are supporting uh, the people. Their mission is for the people of the earth. They are White Knights, and I think that term is a Wall Street term, and it's used for helping that which is struggling and um, needing to overcome. And we're doing that, and we're getting that information through Rama from the from the White Knights, what we need to know and that Galactic Federation and the announcement of Nassar, which was a law that was passed and signed on October the 10th. So we're coming to an anniversary of that, and that would have been in the year 2000. We're coming to the 23rd year anniversary of that. And uh, so that is that people's, that is returning us to the, the 
the uh, governance to the people, uh, the, the power to the people, as we embrace these original constitution of these United States and all the things that is in the Sarah Law that brings reparations and and justice and a return to constitutional law and all those wonderful things. So we support Tar and Rama in that work, that he, being that connection and Tar just also having worked with the King of Swords, that connection to the King of Swords at the same time is important and so with that connection to St. Germain is important and he's in the physical here on the planet and he has three offices in this country and uh, we know this because Tar and Rama are sharing that information with us that they get received from the white knights who are um, 33 levels above the president the the Galactic Federation and its ACIO, the Alien Contact Intelligence Organization. So as this connection, it is our job to support Tara and Rala. So this is what we need to do. And to support these shows, we can, you could be the listeners and hear about these, this news and, and this, uh, the progress we're making as, as we make this transition. Um, so and learn more about what what is the Galactic Federation, what is the ACIO, who is the King of Swords. So we're so grateful for them, and it's we need to support them because they can't take regular jobs, they can't be on pensions, they can't do any of that. They have to stay on the on the DL, as we say, and that keeps them safe. Um, there's a, there's a lot that goes on in the game. And it's not a game. <laughs> so here's what we do to assist Tara and Rama, and here's and also what we do to assist us being here on BBS Radio at this time, being able to deliver this information and come together as a people with like minds and for the work that we do to progress humankind beyond what we've been. So... um BBS Radio is easy to access. Uh, we need uh, three hundred and I think thirty-five, fifty-five dollars each week this month, and we're behind. We have still to pay for the month um, nine hundred and twenty dollars and seventy-five cents to be precise, and we'd like to catch up. We're grateful for BBS Radio being. Um, patient with us and we also like to be patient with you all but we we really need you to know that we need you to pay a little bit more and if you've never contributed this might be the time to start if uh, a number of us were contributing just a small amount it would definitely make a difference so this is a good way to pay it forward and Every time we put that energy forward, we always get blessed in return many times fold, many times. So know that is the case. So blessings to all of you. Thank you for taking this action. Here's how we do it. Go into your heart space. See what is yours to give. Then go to bbsradio.com and click on Radio Station 1, and you'll see this 
program listed on the schedule that's at the top of the menu on on the homepage there. And uh, you look for Fridays at 8 o'clock hour. These are central times. 8 o'clock hour in the evening, you will find the true history. No, <laughs> the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. And as you click on that icon there, that'll take you directly to our account with BBS Radio. And uh, as you uh, do that, then you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. So thank you. Thank you for taking that action. We have another program on Radio Station 1. It's on Thursdays, and it's called A Night at the Roundtable. And I always say that's spelled with a K, but it's silent. (laughs) So the night's at the roundtable. Anyway, you'll see that listed at the 8 o'clock hour as well. And the panel, and this is a good way to, you can call in and ask questions and and they take turns on what they talk about, and you can talk about anything. So we love this one. So it's at 8, eight o'clock hour on Thursdays. As you tune into that, um, you can, you'll enjoy that program, I'm sure. But click on that icon there, and it'll take you to our account with BBS Radio. And then we have a third program on Saturdays, and it's a long one. It starts at 3.30 on Radio Station 2, and we go until... 2.30, so it's 10 hours, and there's an hour and a conference call, and it's just, it's just uh, quite the day of it, and never a dull moment, so as you can tune in and enjoy that one, please do. Um, this program is listed at the 3.30 hour on Radio Station 2, so you can click on that icon, and that'll take us di- directly to our account with BBS, and you can make that payment there. So let's get caught up. We need $920.75 to be caught up. And let's just see what we can do to make that happen um, in a good way. So thank you for taking that action. Thank you for your participation in this way. And many, many, many blessings in return for, uh, yeah, paying it forward like that. So lots of gratitude for you and your lives and all the ways that you show up in your lives. And uh, lots of gratitude for Tara and Rama and lots of gratitude for BBS Radio for their patience in this and their service and being the best radio station in the land. So we're grateful to Don and Doug and TJ there and grateful to all of you for joining us. So moving on, we're assisting Tara and Rama with they need with their needs, and they're good with the bills right now. So all they need is their living expenses, and they need two hundred dollars for their living expenses for the week. But they need money right now, so they need someone to make a direct uh, contribution today so that Rama can have some gas money and some get the cat food because they're out of both and that's an emergency. And I'm not sure which is, you need to be able to have gas to run away from the cats in case they get hungry <laughs> and decide to eat you, but I don't think they're going to decide to eat you, them. So, but anyway, let's make it happen in a good way ASAP that they get money for their uh, gas for their car and cat food. 
And so here's how I make a contribution to Tara and Rama. You want to access the PayPal account? You do that by going to the web address, which if you're new to the program and have never gone there, you'll find it interesting. It's And the web address is rainbowroundtable.net. There on the homepage, you'll see the menu grid. Click on that, and near the bottom of that long list, like item number 40, is a donate link. Click on that, and that'll take you directly to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account, and you can make that donation at any amount. And if you want that donation to go further, you can choose the Friends option by simply uh, making that gift to the email address that is there directly. And so that email address you want to use is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999, that's four nines, at hotmail.com. And I'll say it again, Koran, 9999, at hotmail.com. And uh, either way is perfect. So we're grateful for your contributions and lots of gratitude. And also, as you're sending something, please let Rama know that you sent something and when you sent it. So his email address to contact Rama, Koran, K-O-R-E-N, 999, at Comcast.net. I'll say it again, Koran, 999, at Comcast.net. Let him know what you sent and when you sent it so he can plan for that. And then as you need it, the mailing address is as follows, Ram, R-A-M-D, Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, or Z, Post Office Box 280-280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, with a zip code is 87567. And again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all of the information. And we're so grateful for all of you. Thank you for joining us here, and thank you for your contributions. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. And I'm passing that talking stick, and it's just got Harvest Festival written all over it. It's harvest time, and we're celebrating pump. Oh, oh I see. It's a bunch of pumpkins. A lot of pumpkins, and the corn is in, the potatoes are being dug, and the cover crops are being sown, and the garlic is being planted. <laughs> Tell you what's happening here. And the cabbage is being crowded. So, greetings, Tara and Rama. There's just food all over the place. <laughs> They're funny. And this dragon energy is something else. They're firing. They're all fired up. Uh, all the dragons are fired up, and that sort of truth is right there where it needs to be. Greetings, Tara Rama. Here comes this talking stick. All the little people are coming along. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, Rainbird. You make us chuckle. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that... Happy Equinox, everyone. Happy Equinox. I know that... BBS Radio Station 1, they don't know the background too much about what we do. Uh, We have been teaching and learning at the same time about something called Nasara Law, 
which stands for National Economic Security and Reformation Act. It was actually signed into law by President Clinton in the year 2000, right before he left August. He left office, and it was on October 10th, 2000. That means it's the law. And then there's been how many years since then? Twenty-three years. Come October 10th, it'll be 23 years when it was signed into law. And we haven't seen hide nor hair of anything like that. We were asked by a group of what they call Faction Three White Knights back then. And you don't hear about that anywhere, uh, hide nor hair of them either. And these Faction Three White Knights started their mission in 1949. There was a little sliver of an opportunity and this is, I'm just going to explain it, and it's kind of the short version. Mm-hmm. Yet in 1949, there were 40 note holders. And between them all, quadrillions of dollars. Uh, and uh, there were five of these note holders that held the largest notes. And one of those five note holders, his name was Sam Brown. And this is where you really want to know that the Uncle Sam came from, from this guy's name. Because he decided, none of the others did that at all. They were all greedy elites with lots of money and they didn't want to share it with anybody. Called working people, much less anybody else. So this guy, Sam Brown, said... I will share with the rest of the people uh, across the world. And, of course, he wasn't so hot either. (laughs) He wanted to be in charge of it, and that wasn't a good idea. So back then, a group of Faction 3 white knights formed, and they worked with a being who's been around and has never died, the son of Queen Elizabeth I. And you know that she would have had her head cut off because she was, she was, Queen Elizabeth I was related to Henry VIII in what way? Oh, her mother. was Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn, and she was one of Henry VIII's eight wives. And she was black. And she was black. And he loved her, so he took care. And then he didn't love her anymore, and they chopped her head off. Mm, Enough. (laughs) But the thing is that this lady became Queen of England. And she fell in love with the last of the Tudor family. What was his name again? Dudley... <laughs> Not Dudley, you're right. Uh, no, I forgot his last name. But he was the last of the Tudor family. Oh, I forget. So that was royal blood. And so they fell in love 
in the Tower of London. They were put in prison. I can't remember for what reason. But they mm-hmm. fell in love and they got secretly married by a monk who married them in the prison. <laughs> and then they would go to each other's rooms every night. And she conceived a child. And that, and and then she came full term at the same time as this, um, I forgot her name, first name, but her last name was Bacon. She was married to her husband, whose last name was Bacon. Anyway, they were very wealthy and they were very well-to-do. And she had a child, but the child was stillborn. So there was an arrangement made so that the son of Queen Elizabeth I, Queen Elizabeth retreated completely recluse for the nine months of the pregnancy. Nobody ever saw hiding her hair or her. So that she gave the baby to Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Bacon, and nobody knew the difference that her, their child was stillborn, and they believed that this child was their child that was born. So that's why this young son, baby, was named uh, Sir Francis Bacon. This young lad, he had his first Ph.D. at the age of 12. By the time he was 16, he had four Ph.D.s. So what do you call that? A very brilliant being. Let's just put it that way. How many minutes is that, Ron? Six minutes. Okay, and what time must it be? Oh, we have a few minutes. We have about 49 to 54. We've got about five minutes. Okay, so let me finish this story. So Sir Francis Bacon was a brilliant scholar and his parents had a lot of money they sent him all over Europe to all the best schools and this young lad um, as to of course his true lineage he was heir to the throne of England and that didn't quite happen back then yet he was so brilliant that he went teaching all over Europe and, you know, to all the wealthy higher-ups in their governments, too, all the different countries. And they were just like, oh, my God, who is this person? So anyway, to to say in a quick way, they put out a fake story about he died. But that never happened. And that young lad, uh, so he was born in 1560s. He's 400 and some years old right now because he never died. And you might say he had his ways and he was kept carefully, silently. And he got through all the ages and there's a million stories. He, he, he appeared to... Um, Napoleon. Yes, Napoleon on the night 
that um, what was the Napoleon Moore called? It was the night he appeared to him. It was at the end of the war, and he said to him, "This night, your your star will your star fall. will fall." And sure enough, he lost the war. Is that the French American War? French, mm, French in, Revolution. French Revolution. Was it mm. back then? Yeah. Okay, so anyway, it, mm. it just comes down, and he he traveled to the United States, and uh, he 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 spoke with the native people of the land. This is another thing people don't know. This land was full of people, native people, at least 160 million to 200 million people. And what did we do? We slaughtered those people. This was their land. You do not declare sovereignty of a land that's inhabited. That's called massacre. That's called genocide. Okay, you better So all is coming to pass now with this enactment of Nassar law that's already been signed into law by Bill Clinton in the year 2000 in October on the 10th. So what we're seeing is we're seeing accountability come about. On the fall of democracy is on the edge right now. Uh, the Republicans hate democracy. And they want to kill it. And as our friend yesterday, Caroline, says, what they want to do, and they want to do it really quick, they want to get rid of all the paper dollar bills, and they may want to make everything digital. What does that mean? As Caroline said, that makes a fascist state completely, 100%. Right now, in order to purchase oil from Saudi Arabia, it may not be paid in dollar bills. It has to be paid in Russian rubles or the Chinese yen, or they will not deliver any oil to the United States. There's good things and bad things about this because they could have ended this fossil fuel thing that's completely polluted our airways, our waterways, the soil itself. So right now we're going to play Aurora Rays little piece and then we'll we'll just go to the on with the show thank you for listening everyone this is called the accelerated shift transforming our reality and planet experience the thrilling shift now This is a very powerful shift in our reality, as you are being given all of the information you need to create a new world, and it is happening at an extremely accelerated pace. This is not only about you, but also about our planet and all life upon it. Our planet has been in a state of disease for thousands of years now, and it is time for her to return to her natural state. The veil has been lifted, and she is able to heal herself. 
The process will take some time as she goes through her own evolutionary process, but once she does, everything on Earth will begin to change for the better. As you have already been working with the awakening of your higher self, you have also been receiving guidance on how to work with this energy of super-consciousness. You have been asked to focus on your third eye chakra as a way of increasing your ability to perceive this light and use it in healing sessions. The third eye chakra is located at the brow center and can be found by moving your hand up from either side of your face, coming to rest just above the eyebrow line. It is an area where you are able to receive information from higher sources. This energy will help you tap into what is going on in other dimensions and realms, and it will enable you to see beyond the limitations of time, space, and matter. Since you have been given direct access to higher levels of consciousness, there will be many times when you will be able to see things that others cannot see or sense in their daily lives. For example, if someone is asleep and dreaming, but does not know it, then they can occasionally experience events that take place during their dreams, but which actually happened in another time or place. These events may include seeing people who have died or gone missing, hearing conversations that were never held, or having events occur that were not physically possible on Earth. In addition, beings from other dimensions may visit Earth, just as they do here. Some of them are teachers who will teach us about ascension and recognizing our higher self. You will begin to see visions of other worlds and realities, as well as beings who may appear as angels or demons, depending upon their level of consciousness at that moment in time. As we move into a new era of universal peace and love, these beings are becoming more and more visible. The shift is still happening, and the information you have been feeling you need to create a new reality for yourself is here. I know that this may be frightening for some of you, but what are your options? It's being presented to you from everywhere, and it's real. You can either choose to ignore it or embrace it, but what happens when there is no avoiding or denial? You will see it with your own eyes. And then, where does that leave you? You cannot stop the shift, nor do you want to do so. Due to the acceleration of this movement, there will be many glitches along the way. Much like in a video game, where you have levels that load your character so much that you have loads of glitches for a few levels. Know that they are only ever present at the exact right moment in our reality, not more or less. Each one is a beautiful facet of our new world unfolding before us. This is a very exciting time, and we are all experiencing it together in higher dimensions. So please enjoy the ride. The shift is happening now, and every time you think you've seen or heard it all, another synchronicity manifests and the veil of illusion is lifted just a little more. That sounds a bit dramatic, but seriously, the movement of energy is palpable. When we feel it, when we see it around us, and when it happens in our own lives, there's no question that things are changing. So make sure to share the good news with your loved ones and spread the love every day. It's only gonna become more obvious as we move into this new paradigm of love and light. There is no doubt that we are in a time of change, and what many perceive as an exponential acceleration of this change is real. 
it is happening at a level much deeper than thought, and it has been happening for quite some time. I am still looking forward to seeing the fruits of these changes when they all come to fruition. Spend some more time in nature and in the sun. It's good for you, and it's good for the planet. We can't know what is going to happen as a result of all of this information coming to light. But it's undeniable that by being ready for anything, we can enhance our future. We can improve our future by being prepared for all eventualities. And hopefully, these changes won't be too overwhelming for us. If we can change sooner rather than later, then maybe everything will be easier in the long run. I'm really glad that you have chosen to experience this shift. And I hope that you are witnessing the same things that I am. This message is intended to help raise your vibration as we all continue through this process because it is a wonderful thing. I am grateful to be alive at this time and I know that you are likely feeling the same way. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho! This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray. Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Thank you, everyone. So we'll be back. We're going to a conference call now. Ron. Uh, seven, seven, two, zero, seven, one, six. 7301 and the pin code is 353863 pound. Okay, everybody. And we encourage you, we'll welcome you to come to the conference call. It might be a new experience, but that's what life's about. And then we'll be right back here on BBS Radio at the top of the next hour. And we'll tell a little more of that story. Just say that this. Sir Francis Bacon's St. Germain story has a importance because he's alive and well and he's helping guide us to get Nassar completely enacted. And we live on 100% donations, so we need to stay out of the old system till we can bring in the new safely. Thank you, and we'll see you on the conference, everyone. Namaste for now.
my precious heart, thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. As we continue daily and hourly to assimilate the incredible light flowing in through and around every particle and wave of life on this sweet earth, we are being lifted into higher and higher levels of consciousness. This is allowing us to comprehend the sacred knowledge now being released by the newly activated latent abilities in our fifth dimensional strands of DNA at a deeper level. Today, our Father, Mother, God are going to amplify an activity of light they have blessed us with that will enhance our ability to comprehend this profound truth even more. If you have the heart call to participate in this opportunity, please join with me and lightworkers around the world now. And we begin. Daily and hourly, we are being provided with opportunities to comprehend at a deeper level just what is occurring for Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her as we assimilate our new solar reality. At this time, we are being called to pay attention and to be a peace commanding presence as we move through our life experiences day by day. You and I and the rest of awakening humanity have been instrumental in co-creating this glorious facet of Mother Earth's ascension process. We accomplished this mighty feat in unison with our Father Mother God and the legions of light throughout infinity. It has not been easy, but we knew exactly what would be involved and we volunteered to embody on Earth during this auspicious time anyway. We were willing to endure every challenge and difficult experience because eons ago, our I Am Presence showed us the divine potential we had of actually co-creating a heart-based new Earth that would reflect oneness and reverence for all life. This sacred knowledge confirmed our inner knowing that one day the lessons of separation and duality would come to an end and every man, woman and child would reclaim our full divine potential as beloved sons and daughters of God, which is our destiny. Now, on this sacred and holy day, our Father, Mother, God have given us an activity of light that will help humanity in mass to comprehend the sacred knowledge being revealed to each of us intuitively within our heart flame. This divine intervention will also help humanity in mass 
to far more gently assimilate the new solar frequencies that Mother Earth is now abiding in. As you respond to this opportunity in alignment with your heart's call, please join with me and lightworkers around the world for this powerful activity of light. As one breath, one heartbeat, one voice, and one unified consciousness of pure divine love we begin. I am my I am presence and I am one with my Father, Mother, God. My fifth dimensional crystalline solar light bodies are pulsating within the flame of the immaculate concept that is blazing in the crystalline lotus blossom in the newly ascended heart of Mother Earth. My I Am Presence is also one with the I Am Presence of every man, woman, and child on Earth. Collectively, our I Am Presences have merged into one I Am Presence, which is cradling Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her within the divinity of our unified heart flame. My individual I am presence now expands and expands into a luminous being of light that is holding my crystalline solar light bodies, Mother Earth, and the collective I am presence of all humanity within its immortal, victorious, threefold heart flame. Now, the heart flame in my fifth dimensional crystalline solar light bodies in the heart of Mother Earth and the unified heart flame of all of humanity in our collective I Am Presence and the greatly expanded heart flame in my luminous I Am Presence, all three merge into one glorious, immortal, victorious threefold flame. This sacred fire is enveloping Mother Earth and becoming more and more powerful with every breath I take. From this moment forth, with my every in-breath and out-breath, this trinity of God's infinite light is amplifying the fifth dimensional crystalline solar frequencies of light that Mother Earth is now abiding in. My Father, Mother God have assured me that humanity's newly elevated and balanced holy breath is the sacred substance that will sustain Mother Earth in the frequencies of her new solar 
reality. Now, in oneness with the I am presence of every person on earth and the entire company of heaven, I secure the following activity of light in Mother Earth's newly ascended fifth dimensional crystalline solar grid of comprehensive divine love as I decree. I am the cup, the holy grail, through which the light of God now flows to bless every particle and wave of life evolving on this precious planet. I am my I am presence, and I now invoke my Father, Mother, God to breathe their infinite light through the divine trinity of my newly merged, immortal, victorious, threefold flame. Beloved ones, now project this infinite light into Mother Earth's ascended fifth-dimensional crystalline solar grid of comprehensive divine love. As this exquisite light blazes through Mother Earth's crystalline solar grid of divine love, it bathes the Earth and amplifies every person's light work 1,000-fold. This unfathomable influx of my Father Mother God's infinite light raises every atomic and subatomic particle and wave of life on Earth into a higher order of being. As this wondrous light is anchored through the divinity of humanity's newly merged heart flame, it becomes a power point of comprehensive divine love and oneness, unifying the consciousness of the entire company of heaven, the masses of humanity the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth with the divine heart and mind of our Father, Mother, God. Now, through humanity's unified consciousness, the I Am presence of every person serves as a catalyst to inspire the divine intelligence within our new Record Keeper Crystals in Mother Earth's fifth dimensional crystalline solar grid of comprehensive divine love to release through our intuitive inner knowing the sacred knowledge and the specific details of Earth's new contingency plan. Through humanity's unified heart call, this sacred knowledge begins to flow into the mental and emotional strata of Mother Earth. As this occurs, 
is profound truth begins to register intuitively in the hearts and minds of awakening humanity. It also begins to register within the mass consciousness of humanity. With this influx of divine truth, humanity in mass begins to reclaim our divine birthright as instruments of God, and we become love in action. The I am presence within every person volunteers to be the open door for these resplendent patterns of divine love and truth. Humanity is now the cause of these new fifth dimensional solar frequencies of God's comprehensive divine love and truth that are being permanently established on earth now. Together, we are setting in place the basic spiritual forces of this fifth dimensional comprehensive divine love and truth through which Mother Earth and all her life will continue to ascend into greater and greater expressions of fifth dimensional crystalline solar perfection of the new Earth. With the gift of this living breathing activity of light, which all life on earth has been blessed with this day, all of humanity now has the ability to intuitively comprehend the sacred knowledge and the profound truth pulsating within Mother Earth's new contingency plan that is flowing into the mental and emotional strata from the fifth dimensional record keeper crystals that have been placed in Mother Earth's crystal grid system by the mighty Elohim. With infinite humility and gratitude, we accept and know that this divine intervention from our Father Mother God has been victoriously accomplished here and now, even as we call. And so it is, beloved I am, beloved I am, beloved I am that I am.
as humanity starts to turn a corner away from an old energy into a new energy sounds like a trite colloquialism the old to the new but this is profound for the old energy represents staples of consciousness and the ways of being which are going to be eliminated with a new more advanced and elegant evolved consciousness that is coming and we wish to tell you yet again what to expect and it centers around one word there's a time that my partner and his partner will never forget not too long ago in the place that you call india they had an audience with a man and the man is known as the dalai lama the dalai lama is respected renowned loved by hundreds of thousands if not millions of human beings who have heard him and seen him been with him and he spans goes over that that bridge of what you would call organized religion for the christians and the jews would all sit in his presence the muslims would understand when they could see the oneness of god represented in the man and when he would speak in these groups there would be a suspension for a little while of any separatism and the light shone out of him and there my partner was about to meet him you'll never forget it it's etched into his akash which will go through the veil and he'll remember a time even in another lifetime where he met a holy man who was correct and true the first thing the dalai lama did was to grab the hand of my partner and his partner they were holding hands so all my partner could do to suppress weep could this really be happening and in his own cheerful joyful way dalai lama mentioned some things asked some questions where are you from what's going on and he looked in the eyes of my partner and his partner and made a statement it's simple but profound it's something that he said that anyone who knew him would expect him to say but my partner got to hear his voice say it to him and he said i believe in oneness profound it is because this changing consciousness on the planet is changing from separatism to oneness 
And it's doing it in subtle ways and not so subtle ways. But you can see it operate so clearly because of what is coming. You can see it operate because separatism is starting to look ugly. And yet that was always the way of it. I want to walk you through predictions, situations, instructions, some of which may surprise you. All given in love and from a source that has seen this before and knows what's coming that is potentially beautiful. Not all at once, dear ones, and we've said this before, but let me plant the seed of what I see. Only a few years past 2012 and already you're experiencing the old staleness of separatism. And it's not feeling good or looking good. Let me tell you where this might go. Because you're going to see the actual coming out from separatism to oneness in the oddest places. I'm going to give you something that is laughable today and could happen tomorrow. Imagine for a moment two soft drink companies who I'll name. Pepsi and Coca-Cola coming together in one giant pavilion in a conference and inviting everyone to come in and taste their soft drink and enjoy it because they know that between the two brands, there will be some who want one and some who want the other. But by combining the two into one place, they'll sell more soft drinks. It's not separate anymore, is it? What was the old system? I'll call it competitive war. That's what the old system was, completely and totally separate, completely. And one would say, we have the best, don't do the other. Here's the blindfold test, you're gonna like ours better. And the other one will then say the same and they'll change the brand and they'll change the taste and do this and that all so that they will be ahead of the other one. And suddenly somewhere, someone is gonna have an odd idea and the boardrooms are going to guffaw and laugh and roll their eyes for a moment. <laughs> what if we came together knowing very, very succinctly that there is a taste for both on this planet? And that when we come together, we're going to show a oneness that says, we're not going to tell you anything. We have just got some great drinks here. Why don't you come and enjoy them? And for those who have never tasted the one and just tasted the other, there will be some who will make a change and some who won't. And it won't matter. Because in the end, they will have achieved even more than any kind of a commercial war that they would ever have. The end of separatism and the admonishment to others that perhaps the old ways aren't working as well. 
that some new paradigms coming together would work far, far better. Will you ever see that? And the answer is yes, sooner than you think. The appearance of oneness in any form and the lack of separation is what I'm asking you to look for. Dear ones, those who separate will eventually go into their own corners. Separation creates war. Separation creates mistrust in any form at all. It means there's them and there's you. A oneness brings together two, three, four sides, it doesn't matter, into a coalition, a, a way of, of confluence that creates things you didn't expect. I want to talk to Americans in the room. I want you to go back with me and pretend. I want you to pretend you were there at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I want you to, to pretend that you could see the faces of the founding fathers who started the democracy you have today. I want you to listen to them when they say this is the start of something different. And they're right. Majority rule, minority rights, chance for everyone dissension is okay anyone can be successful what an idea but they were smart and even in the creation of your country's constitution they understood there would be change there would be amendments and they understood there would be dissension and party differences and they would not stop. There would be no coalition of oneness there. They understood the separation was important. But they built the constitution so that when the two sides would come together, they would make laws that were better. Better because the two sides had come and compromised and negotiated and built laws that would remain to this day in their wisdom and strength because the two sides would put them together. That was then, and that's not happening today. Today it has become separatism. The idea of oneness is not there, dear ones, it is simply gone. And the founding fathers, if they could see what's happening right now, right today, would weep. And they would say, it's not the way we designed it. It just isn't the way we designed it. We didn't design it to have elections where winner would take all and battle the opposition until the next election. And winner would take all and battle the opposition and nothing would get accomplished. That's today. Ultimate separatism. Once again, I tell you that what seems to be broken can be repaired by oneness. There will come leadership that understands this. There will be those who would run for the highest office of the land who will 
obfuscate what they actually believe on purpose and tell people I'm a centrist. I believe a lot of the red that is good and the blue that is good, and I'm going to put them together. You elect me for negotiation, not for the party and not for the color and not for anything except the ability to come and put this together so that the laws are done and they're strong because of it. And dear ones, when that happens, I want you to remember this channel. Someone is coming. This will be obvious to so many. It is what is needed. Did you know the medical term for hot flashes and night sweats due to menopause is BMS? In order to return to the basic idea, the two sides, even three or four, can come together and negotiate for strength, for common sense, without name calling and without battles. A oneness, even with cultural differences. The idea of separate is going to go by the wayside. And when it does, you'll breathe a sigh of relief. And you'll say no more of this. Soon, it'll occur to those who will run for the highest office in the land. It'll occur to them so plainly that they must be one who can negotiate, bring together, and never separate again. That's just two areas. There are so many more. But the one I want to talk about, I'll talk about in a way I've never talked about before. On this planet, there are many cultures, and those cultures bring about differences when it comes to spiritual things. Do I have to tell you that even a planet that believes in one God, the beautiful love of one God, is responsible for more wars than anything else, arguing over one God? That is separatism. And the separatism has been there for a long time. The separate that says, my prophet has the truth, yours does not. And this is the staple of the consciousness of the organizations to this day, all of them to this day, for the exception of two, the oldest ones on the planet who actually are the ones without a prophet. Interesting, isn't it? But I don't want to talk about those. I want to tell you this, that the end of separatism will happen there as well. You're going to start seeing it. You're going to start seeing it in gentle ways where the prophet's words and actions and love supersede doctrine. I want to do something I've never done before, and then I want to give you an example, a vision. I want to talk to Christians. Now, I would like to tell you that I'm very aware 
most Christians will not be interested in listening. In fact, they will not be listening at all. Because most Christians that are invested in the beautiful Savior that they have are told that only those who believe as they believe are to be listened to. And therefore, these words will not be heard. But not now. But they will be heard. Because there are many who will be alone. And you know who you are, Christian, listening to this right now. Because what I'm going to give you will enhance everything you believe and more. I want to tell you about your... I want to tell you about the man that you worship. It's bigger than you think. It's bigger than you were told, even. This man who walked the earth, who had so much happening. I'm going to give you stories that you don't even know that are not in scripture. It'll make you weep with joy. This man knew God. Not much was told in your scripture about his background. It seemed like he simply appeared and did his thing. Oh, he studied. In order to get to that place where he was, who you worship. There were years where he went through the, the, the opposition to what he believed. Remember. He was a Jew. And what he started preaching and what he started looking at, even as a young man, even in training, went so against the grain of everything that was there. They even called him the wicked priest. Wicked because he was against the truth of the land. What the Hebrews knew. But by the time he was Jesus, as you know him, that's what I want to talk about. Here is a man who was ascended in his consciousness, in his DNA, so much higher above anyone else who had ever walked the planet at that moment. The man who could walk on water was the man who could walk on water. Because he had control over physics. He had control over health. Over so many things. There are miracles you never knew he could do. Let me ask you. You were told that he had the multitudes that would listen to him. And you could hear a pin drop. How could the multitudes hear one man on a rock? How could a thousand people without amplification hear one man on a rock? I'll tell you, they all did. As though he was in their face, talking in their ear with the most gentle, loving voice you can ever imagine. That was Jesus. Did you ever think of that miracle? And then if he talked too long, he fed them with food that wasn't there. That's the Jesus. You ever talk about what happened when he went home? No. You just got to hear about the, the feasts and the meetings and all that. You think they let him alone? They slept around where he lived. 
They followed him everywhere he went because what he had exuded love and compassion and oneness. Exuded it. All you wanted to do was follow him. You could feel it. That's the energy. That's the energy that has no name yet. That says, I don't know what it is. I want it. And I'll follow you for it. Because it's the love of God. All right, Christian, I want you to listen to this. Did you hear about the Roman centurion? (laughs) No. Well, I'll tell you. There are so many things you don't know about that enhance this man's beauty. Even above that which you read in your scripture from the apostles. The Romans watched Jesus carefully to see if he would say anything that would be against the emperor or Caesar or the politics. And he didn't. Because then they could put him in jail instantly. And he didn't. He talked about love. He talked, he said, he said, listen, this is the way of it. It's through me that you're hearing this. Listen, this is the way of it. This is the truth of it. And he talked about the beauty of compassion of God. Not about politics. And the centurion listened. But one time, just the one time, that Jesus turned and looked him in the eye, knew he was there. And there was a silence and the centurion centurion looked at him in the eye and it was all over. (laughs) One glance from the master, one smile from the master, and it melted the centurion's heart, melted it. He left his post, he went home, took off his helmet and his armor, and he took his family and he left. He knew he had to get out of town because that was abandoning his post, but he knew he was wrong in what he had done. He had met Jesus. He had met the master with one glance. That's who that was. You got a good guy here. You decided to worship, Christian. Let me tell you another thing about Jesus. He looked over the multitudes And in his wisdom, he knew who the liars were. He knew who the thieves were. He saw the prostitutes and even those who'd killed other people. And he never said a word. Because he was not separatist. He was oneness. The love of God sees them all equally. And he said so. Dear Christian, you have a personal relationship where he can walk with you and talk to you and tell you it's your family. The man was about oneness. There was no judgment. Never. Beautiful. Even above what you think. Can you imagine being there? So what I'm going to do right now So I'm going to give every Christian listening instructions. 
This nation predominantly is Christian that I speak in right now, so that's who I'm talking to. And if you will take it from me, I'm going to give you some instructions. You're told by your leadership you should be evangelistic. Good. I'll give you instructions on how it works. I want you to emulate the man you worship. If he could look you in the eye right now and you could be there in any of the assemblies and he could see you right now, he would look at you and say, go and emulate what you see. Go and emulate what you see. If you want followers, I want you to emulate that which is the Christ. When you look upon those around you, I want you to see the oneness that he saw. There weren't categories of those who believed and disbelieved or were doing it right or wrong. There was only love. There was only the compassion that God can give to a man like that who knew God. If you want followers, you will have the compassion of the Christ everywhere you walk. And eventually because of this and the oneness that you will give, the people will come to you and say, I don't know what you got, but I love it. And that's when you can say, look, why don't you come and have a worship service with me? This is the way you do it. If you want to be fishers of men, this is how you fish. You do it with compassion. You do it with love. And may I tell you this, you don't do it with separatism. You don't do it by pointing at the others and saying, you got it wrong. Not only that, you're going to die in hell if you don't do it right. You don't make lists that are fearful and push people away. I'll tell you, Christian, that builds a wall. And that's not what your guy did. He never built a wall, ever, right to his last breath, never built a wall. Looked upon his executioners just like he would look upon his mother. Compassion, love, and that's what's attractive. Now, did that hurt so much? Doesn't it make sense that you would emulate the Christ and that that is where it's at? I've got a vision to give you, and the vision will be the end of the channel. It's a metaphor. It's about pillars that are holding up an enormous amount of weight, a roof, a ceiling. There's five or six, maybe seven of them. And they have to agree and be in oneness because each one shares the load. And I'm going to identify what that load is on top that they're supporting in a minute. None of those pillars can be separatists because they cannot remove themselves from this paradigm, this, this image, because then the whole structure would fall. You have a pillar, which is the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Jews, 
the Muslims are Christians. Cultures of this planet will always have differences. They'll always have their prophets. That's not going away. But what's different is this, is that there'll come a time when all of the pillars agree about the oneness. They'll not make the other pillar separate. They will include all of them in compassion. They'll keep their prophet. They'll believe what they believe and they will be happy they believe it, but they'll not turn to the other one and say, you're wrong. They'll not turn to the other one and say, and because you're wrong, we must kill you. That is separatism. That is going away. What is that weight they're holding? I'll give it a name. Because this is the key. The weight they're holding, all of the pillars in oneness together, called peace on earth. It is needed. This is the key. Lack of separatism, especially when it comes to organized religion. Turn to your prophets and the source and relearn what it is you're doing, dear ones. Instead of turning to the rules made by men so long ago to keep you separate. Instead, think of the oneness of the master. and The fact that he never separated out a group. And then think of what you're doing today. There is so much love for all of you to go around. And just like the Pepsi and just like the Coca-Cola. There will be those attracted to your pillar and to the other pillar. And the billions of people on this earth will live in a peaceful coalition of understanding and oneness, disagreeing perhaps of who might have the best, but including it all. Separateness is starting to fail. You will see it. I mean to offend no one today. I come to you in love and benevolence in an angelic way to say things are getting better. Listen, just listen. You might learn something. And so it is. commercial snuck in there and so it is and we are all servants of peace every one of us and um the lackeys are here with us and um i remember one thing the king of swords told us quite a while ago is to lay completely low and there's a reason for that because um, the ones that are not willing to surrender to love, they are the most dangerous ones on the planet. And the police, for instance, as Arya was saying, 
So we lay low and we do the, the inner work. And we meditate every day, a couple of times a day, however. Uh, and, and we do the pranayama breathing throughout the day. And we stay in that inner level uh, where love, truth, peace, justice, no, excuse me, freedom, justice, and beauty reside in ourselves and it gets reflected in our environment. So, with that in mind, Greetings, Mother Goddess of all things. Greetings. In the light of the most radiant one. In the office of the Christ. And only in the office of the Christ. We invoke the loving energies of Saint Germain. And a We ask at this time from the depths of our inner beings for the ability to receive love. All things are manifest from there. And for the ability to grasp higher wisdom and to show mercy and compassion for those who have lost their way and love them more um, and know that it works to steadily walk that good red road. And I pass this talking stick to you, Mother. Reading, children of Ra. Happy Equinox. It is the time where we all get to see what we are made of. Plasma living love living light what's happening is a great upliftment for all souls a very fabric of space time reality shifting 
It's a good day. It is a good day to be alive in this realm. In all realms. It's what we ask to do. Which is a big deal. All the messages are saying. All the tools that we need are right here within us to transform this planet. And it's happening even as we talk here. This great upliftment Kaya by Wamis spoke up, said, We need a little help here. So all of heaven and then some showed up. And it continues. is most auspicious time to be in this realm even as it's a challenging time with what we sense, see, feel Gotta work with the light. Stay in that radiance of the office of the Christ. And it changes everything. At this particular moment here, Approaching this next lunar cycle, the equinox, equal day, equal night, The stories abound of who did what to whom, and we can best say to the sadhana, that is how we get this completion as we work within this heart 
center forever threads of war still exist uh, us work on it within oneself and it changes out here mm-hmm. in the quantum realm it's happening faster and faster as the voices get louder for change that is a good thing violence solves nothing only creates more samsara and mother you're that's why you've been telling us to lay really low yes because it's like a, a trapped animal is going to go for the violence jugular thing you know they and, know it's the time and they don't know what to do about it because they don't want to give up their position of power and greed and money other than impose more violence and fear. This is a very ancient story. And we can say to this day, why did the U.S. invade this kingdom Iberuk this story Stargates it is about this ancient story that is playing itself out at the current moment And let's say our wayward children came in knowing full well, as did we all, it's complete itself. This grand cycle of the sun allow it to play itself out as we embrace the light coming in. It changes things, it changes us for the better. It's inevitable. The light will always be. And it's this story 
about a polar universe. There is equal light, equal dark. Two magnets or two poles on the magnet. Positive, negative. What's happening is in this grand cycle we get to experience the golden age once again. Kali is going to take a nap for a bit of time. Satyuga is here Time to dance with Lakshmi and Ganesh, Lord Shiva. Not about death and destruction, joy, happiness. What Patty, cry on everyone talking about. This is such a pivotal point in our evolution right now as a civilization and we'll speak from our own experience we come from your future which is our past you make it with flying colors. What's happening right now? Like it was said, a few glitches along the way. Mistakes are opportunities for us to expand, grow, it is a most unique time to be here. This whole cycle is not a fluke. It has been put together by ourselves. We did not do this alone. Every one of us has got an equal part to play in this grand passion play. And that lavender lad is right here with us. Didn't go anywhere. the issues at hand right now. This small d democratic republic mm. hangs by one hair of Superman's hair, a thread. 
and we say that it's one strand yet that one strand is as strong as what we can imagine ourselves taking part in this completion here as we have said many times we came in knowing too well how deep it was going to get. We're here. Send Umi love to all the situations. That is the key how to get out of the sticky gooey stuff of our own creations. We have the power within us to make this heaven on earth or Mordor. And all the messages are saying in spite of our best efforts to turn it into Mordor, it's turning into heaven on earth. It may not quite look that way. The clouds are breaking through. The sun is shining. And all of heaven is here. Lord Michael does not take his mission slightly. And when we grok how big this story is, to meet one of the planetary princes of this local universe is a big deal. He's right here, along with all the rest. And they're not going anywhere, they say. (laughs) Nobody's going anywhere. Time for the next round of tea. (laughs) And Mother, you know, Aria brought this other thing up about, you know, the promises that we get and uh, patience and that um, I was asking Rama, you know, and, you know, Mother, you're always with Rama, but I was asking him, how in the world is this twinkling of an eye going to work? when war is going on all over the place of one kind or another. And I know that Nasara cannot be enacted until the entire world declares peace together. And I know that this twinkling of an eye, but 
Can you give us another little hint? <laughs> Watch what's going to happen with the sun in the next little while. Because what the sun is doing <coughs> is affecting all of life. There is not going to be any kill shots from the sun. It's going to wipe out life on earth. What is going to happen is this shift of the ages where let's say we get to meet and greet each other and cuss and discuss how we take the next stage of evolutionary development in love, peace, harmony. What you speak of these hmm, truth, peace, freedom, justice, beauty, all the great civilizations before this one that honored goddess energy worked with goddess energy in the women called the shots were prosperous what's happening is Patriarchy's taking a backseat this time around. And Goddess is calling the shots. It is not a rageful goddess like Eros. Discord, chaos. It is about the beauty of what's coming in from Mother Venus. There are 14 ascended masters from Venus here in the physical. And along with all the rest, this is a time of great learning, expansion. We are being given the wisdom in a very short period of time, which is contained within the entire quantum field. What a download. Yet, we are interdimensional divine beings that has to be here. And there are 144,000 times 100,000 times 100,000 and then some of us and the other side of them 
It's just us. And there is a journey at hand. And it is about sorting out our differences of opinion, so to speak. And we all know where that goes. <laughs> it's the story about the heart. What's happening is earth. All her inhabitants are getting raised up. And like Aurora races, no one's going to stop this. Embrace it. Enjoy the ride. Because we created the story to begin with. We all did. Yes, we did, Mother. We know how to get out of it. And it is the law of vibrational energy. Send only love. Bring in the light. Mother, thank you, thank you, thank you. And do you have a suggestion for all of us until we meet again next week? Our suggestion is when you hear the horrendous stories out there of extinction-level events that all we can say are created in the twisted mind of the old matrix. You gotta leave them old. Yet, it is not saying go through this blindly. Be aware of the energies that are pouring in. It is a most intense time dangerous time and the most auspicious of times to be here. Yes. And go slowly. <laughs> like this guy keeps being told sprinkle that fairy dust in front of you and the road will show up. Kind of like those breadcrumbs Hansel and Gretel played with, only there's not going to be any wicked witches. They're already here. It is that shadow side of self that we've not healed. Better do it quick. With the energies pouring in. That's what we gotta say. Time for knowing the power that we all have. We are all such tremendous beings of great power with great love. 
Yes. That is how this changes. Michael Fronty has a song out there, comes through the consciousness of this head, big, big love. Gotta have big, big love to get through this. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, mother. Greetings in the light of, of the most radiant one. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Sabayo. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Sabayo. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Sabayo. Iliahu, Iliahu, Iliahu. Yod, hey. Old, hey. Yava, Arunai, Vasu, Varagas. Namaste, everyone. Namaste, Mother. Okay, we give us a few moments here for Mother to go on her way and for Rama to come back from wherever he went. Hmm. Hello, Rama. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you go? Oh, um, just to sit on Taos Mountain and work with the energies. There's this shift in the air. It's getting cold, a lot colder. And it is about the the change that's unfolding here with sending more love to all the situations as crazy and as weird as they are. Just focus on sending more love. It's how we get through this. That is the plan. Chop wood, carry water before and after enlightenment. It's not a joke. It's real. Yes, and right now it's really important to do the work. I mean, the, the spiritual work. Yes. And as you have a, a yob, <laughs> yes. you can do that yob. And you can whistle while you work, you might say. And don't plan on anything but be here now. And don't worry, be happy. No matter what comes your way. Treat it as a challenge. Make people laugh. That's a good idea. Happy sounds. Happy sounds. If we focused a lot on how dark it's getting, and it is really dark out there. (laughs) Uh, You know, 
that's really hard to overcome. You know, it makes you a cynical mm. person or, as Arya said, jaded a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that just perpetuates and feeds the dark. Mm. All right. This is time for Amy. All right, here we go. <laughs> Blaze the violent fire. Blaze the violent fire. Yes, yes, yes. Here we go. is Democracy Now! We have now some personal news to share with you this morning. Our boss, Rupert Murdoch, is transitioning from chair of our parent company, Fox Corporation. Rupert Murdoch stepping down as head of his right-wing media empire. We'll talk to the head of Media Matters, who says Murdoch's legacy is one of deceit, destruction, and death. Then to Israel. Even while we have some differences, my commitment to Israel, as you know, is ironclad. I, uh, I think without Israel, there's not a Jew in the world that's secure. I think Israel is essential. President Biden's invited Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to the White House after the two met on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly. Critics say Biden's embracing Israel's apartheid system. Plus, we speak to Congressmember Ro Khanna as Republican infighting could soon lead to a government shutdown. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's warned the far-right lawmakers want to burn the whole place down. Plus, we'll speak with Ro Khanna about the UAW strike as the auto workers threaten to expand their strike today against the big three. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's dismissed lawmakers for an extended weekend after a handful of Republican hardliners rebelled and blocked an $886 billion Pentagon spending bill. McCarthy blamed members of his caucus for wanting to burn the whole place down, he said. Their defection makes it increasingly likely the federal government will shut down October 1st when funding for federal agencies expires. On Thursday, Democratic Congress member Ilhan Omar blasted Republicans for demanding massive cuts to social programs. Now they launch some of the most radical cuts to health care, to housing assistance, to food assistance, to the postal office, and nearly every program under the sun all while doing nothing to rein in our nearly trillion dollar Pentagon budget or the trillions they have handed out to millionaires and billionaires through the Trump tax cuts. Meanwhile, the Pentagon says it'll exempt its Ukraine operations from any government shutdown to allow it to continue training soldiers and shipping arms to Kyiv. We'll have more on the congressional budget fight later in the broadcast with California Congressmember Rohana. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's arrived in Canada after wrapping up a visit to Washington, D.C., where he met Thursday with U.S. lawmakers, military leaders, and President Joe Biden. During a speech at the National Archives, Zelensky thanked the U.S. for the $113 billion in aid to Ukraine approved by Congress, saying the money's helping to prevent a wider war in Europe. If we fall, half of Europe would again be in danger of being in Moscow's sphere of influence. 
But American investment in Ukrainian security and global protection of freedom is working 100% every cent. Meanwhile, Poland's prime minister says he will no longer send new arms to Ukraine, will instead focus on arming Poland with modern weaponry. The move comes amidst a trade dispute that's seen Poland ban exports of imports of Ukrainian grain and other food products. In a historic victory for indigenous communities, Brazil's Supreme Court has blocked efforts led by agribusiness-backed lawmakers to enforce a time limit for making claims to ancestral territory. The case argued indigenous groups were only entitled to land that they physically occupied when the 1988 Brazilian Constitution was signed. Many indigenous communities were expelled from their ancestral territory over the course of decades, including during the military dictatorship. Nine of the 11 justices sided with indigenous people who gathered outside the Supreme Court in Brasilia Thursday in an emotional celebration following news of the ruling. Many wept with joy, others danced. We're getting emotional. We're happy and we cry because we know that it's only with demarcated territory, with protected indigenous territory, that we'll be able to stop climate change from happening and preserve our biome. We are responsible for it. In Guatemala, demonstrations have continued nationwide in support of progressive President-elect Bernardo Arevalo and his Semilla political party as prosecutors seek to derail the results of August runoff election and prevent Arevalo from taking office in January. Protesters are demanding the resignation of corrupt prosecutors backed by Guatemala's right-wing business and political elite who've launched several investigations against Arevalo and Semilla over alleged election fraud and irregularities in the party registration. International observers have said there's no evidence backing these claims. Arevalo rallied supporters outside the Supreme Court in Guatemala City earlier this week. Citizenship is exercised not only every four years when the vote is cast, but also when the institutions ask us to mobilize to defend democracy. And today we're here in an act of defense of democracy. On Tuesday, thousands of indigenous leaders took to the streets of Guatemala, blocking major highways. In New York, Brazilian President Luis Inácio Lula da Silva warned in his U.N. General Assembly address about the prospect of a coup unfolding in Guatemala. In Guatemala, there is a risk of a coup, which would impede the inauguration of the winner of democratic elections. In immigration news, the Biden administration announced Wednesday it's granting work permits and temporary protection from deportation to nearly half a million Venezuelans. Migrants from Venezuela who are already in the U.S. as of July 31st can apply for temporary protected status. The relief will last for 18 months and comes after a massive push led by immigration rights activists demanding work authorization for the tens of thousands of migrants who've arrived at the U.S., In recent months, in related news, a three-year-old migrant child has died after being swept away by the current of the Rio Grande along the Texas border with Mexico. Texas officials also recovered another migrant presumed to have died after drowning in the river. Both bodies were found near the border buoys installed by Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott to block migrants from crossing into the U.S., Earlier this month, a federal judge ordered Abbott to remove his dangerous floating border barrier. The ruling was temporarily paused after Texas filed an appeal. India 
has suspended visas for Canadian nationals after Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau Monday claimed the Indian government was involved in the June assassination of a Sikh community leader and a Canadian citizen, Hardeep Singh Nijjar, in British Columbia. India rejected the claim and accused Canada of harboring Sikh separatist terrorists. Both countries have expelled diplomats. The AP's reporting Canada's claim is based on surveillance of Indian diplomats in Canada and intelligence provided by an unnamed ally from the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Alliance, which includes the US, UK, Australia, and New Zealand. Billionaire media tycoon Rupert Murdoch announced Thursday he's stepping down as chair of News Corp and Fox Corp and will put his son Lachlan Murdoch in charge. Murdoch's vast media holdings include the right-wing TV network Fox News, which has been plagued by a series of scandals around sexual harassment, as well as reporting lies, including around Trump's loss in the 2020 election. We'll have more on Rupert Murdoch's media empire after headlines. In France. Police released journalist Ariane Levilleux Thursday, two days after her home was raided and she was arrested over her reporting. Writing for the website Disclose, Lavrieux reported on a leak that said French intelligence was used by Egyptian forces to target smugglers along the Libya-Egypt border, resulting in the killing of civilians. The reporting says French forces were complicit in at least 19 bombings against smugglers between 2016 and 18. She also wrote about various arms trades in Egypt, Libya, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Russia. Amnesty International Chief Agnès Kayamad said, quote, it is deeply chilling that almost two years after the revelations that France was allegedly complicit in extrajudicial executions of hundreds of people in Egypt, it's the journalists who expose these atrocities that's being targeted rather than those responsible, she said. On Thursday, Lavrieux spoke at a news conference at the Paris Office of Reporters Without Borders shortly after her release. She deplored the lack of political support for her case and called on parliamentarians to investigate abuses by French intelligence services. If all these people remain silent, it is very disquieting for our democracy. If those in power do not ask questions, democracy dies in darkness. As the famous slogan goes, this is a very political, essentially democratic matter. In Louisiana, a new lawsuit accuses officers in a street crimes unit of the Baton Rouge Police Department of unlawfully arresting people and torturing them in an unmarked warehouse dubbed the Brave Cave. Turnell Brown, a 47-year-old grandmother, says she was arrested at a traffic stop in June after officers falsely told her it was illegal to store her prescription medications in a single bottle. Rather than being processed at the local jail, Brown alleges she was taken to the warehouse where she was stripped naked and subjected to invasive body cavity searches. She was released without charge about two hours later. This is the second federal lawsuit against the Baton Rouge police. In another suit, 21-year-old Jeremy Lee, who is black, alleges officers strip searched him in public before bringing him to the warehouse where he was brutally beaten by officers who turned off their body cameras. 
Former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson has accused Rudy Giuliani of groping her on January 6, 2021, shortly before the Capitol insurrection. In her new book, Enough, Hutchinson described Giuliani slipping his hand, quote, under my blazer, then my skirt, unquote, while they were backstage at Trump's speech. A Giuliani spokesperson denied the claim. Meanwhile, the lawyer who'd been leading Giuliani's defense in his litany of legal challenges sued Giuliani for one $1.3 million in unpaid fees he owes his law firm. This comes as Georgia election workers Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss said in a court filing Thursday, Giuliani has failed to comply with a federal judge's order to turn over evidence and pay $89,000 in legal fees as part of their defamation case. And in labor news, the United Auto Workers Union says it's escalating its stand-up strike against the big three U.S. automakers today unless significant progress is made at the bargaining table. UAW President Sean Fain will announce the auto plants that will join workers on the picket line at GM, Ford, and Stellantis. Amid soaring profits and CEO compensation, workers are demanding better wages and end to tiered pay, cost of living adjustments, a return to defined benefit pensions, and a 32-hour work week. Separately, UAW workers and Tuscaloosa, Alabama, have launched a strike at their plant, which produces parts for Mercedes-Benz. Wages because of inflation right now. The wages that we have is not gonna, it's not meeting our needs. And plus the, um, the benefit package they offer us is too high, we can't afford it. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Media billionaire Rupert Murdoch made a surprise announcement Thursday that he's stepping down from his media empire and will put his son Lachlan Murdoch in charge. Rupert Murdoch is 92 years old. In November, he will transition to become chairman emeritus of both Fox Corporation and News Corporation. Lachlan Murdoch will become chairman of News Corporation, continue his position as chief executive officer of Fox Corp. Murdoch's media empire began in Australia in 1952 and quickly expanded. In 1969, he bought one of Britain's oldest newspapers, News of the World, which he then shut down in 2011 after the tabloid was accused of eavesdropping on phone calls and hacking voicemails of missing children, families of soldiers killed in action, and others. This is Rupert Murdoch testifying before the British Parliament's Culture and Media Committee in 2011, questioned by Labour MP Tom Watson. Mr. Murdoch, at what point did you find out that criminality was endemic at News of the World? Endemic is a very hard, it's a very wide-ranging word. And I also had to be extremely careful not to prejudice the course of justice which is taking place now. Uh, that that has been disclosed, uh, I became aware as it became apparent. The British Parliamentary Committee concluded Rupert Murdoch and his son James Murdoch showed, quote, willful blindness about the scale of phone hacking at News of the World. The next year, a parliamentary report concluded Rupert, Mar- <laughs> Rupert Murdoch was, quote, not a fit person to run a major international media company. This is British Labour MP Tom Watson in 2012. And everybody in the world knows who is responsible for the wrongdoing of News Corp. Rupert Murdoch. More than any individual alive, he is to blame. Morally, the deeds are his. 
He paid the piper and he called the tune. It is his company, his culture, his people, his business, his failures, his lies, his crimes, the price of profits and his power. That was more than a decade ago. Well, here in the United States, critics say the right-wing TV network Fox News under Rupert Murdoch has long served as the communications arm of the Republican Party. In the past decade, it's also faced a series of sexual harassment scandals. In 2016, the chair and CEO of Fox News, Roger Ailes, was forced to resign amidst multiple accusations of sexual harassment, along with primetime host Bill O'Reilly. This was Rupert Murdoch's response in 2017 on the Sky News channel which he founded. How harmful has the whole raft of allegations about sexual harassment at Fox News been for the business? Has oh, that's all nonsense. Uh, there was a problem uh, with our chief executive, um, sort of uh, uh, over the years, but isolated instance. As soon as we investigated, he was out of the place in hours. Well, three or four days. Um, and there's been nothing else since then. Rupert Murdoch's resignation comes after Fox News settled a defamation lawsuit with Dominion Voting Systems over 2020 election lies for nearly $800 million. Fox News is still facing a $2.7 billion defamation lawsuit from Smartmatic. Michael Wolff, author of the new book, The Fall, The End of Fox News and the Murdoch Dynasty, reports Murdoch was, quote, frothing at the mouth in anger at Donald Trump. For more, we're joined by Angelo Carasone, president of Media Matters. He's closely followed Murdoch and released a statement that Murdoch's legacy of one of deceit, destruction and death. Welcome back to Democracy Now! Angelo, it's great to have you with us. Can you respond to the surprise announcement yesterday? Yeah, I think one of the things to keep in the two things that I felt immediately was one to make sure that you know his legacy doesn't get sugarcoated, that we are really cognizant of the scale of damage that he's created. It's it's not just the culture of corruption and lies that, that, that Tom Watson was quoted at, uh, sort of referencing, but also the long tail of some of his active campaigns, in particular against climate change. I don't think there's a single person or entity in the world that has done more to promote climate denialism and undermine the efforts to, to combat that threat. And that will last for, for, for generations. Uh, and Rupert Murdoch, given the scale of his properties, was significant there. So that was the first thing, was to make sure that the legacy doesn't get sugarcoated. And then the second was to sort of ring the alarm bell, which is that Lachlan Murdoch will actually be a lot worse in many respects. So things in some ways will get both more chaotic and more extreme. So, well, let's talk about whether, in fact, Rupert Murdoch is stepping back. Um, will yeah. he, behind the scenes, be in charge? And then talk more about um, Lachlan Murdoch and James Murdoch, who, in fact, will ultimately be in charge. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's also getting uh, sort of glossed over as well in a lot of the coverage. Um, in the statement where Rupert Murdoch's announcement was made, one of the things that it also simultaneously emphasized was that he still intends to be heavily involved in the day-to-day -day operations of uh, the media properties. And I think when they say that, they also in particular mean Fox News. Um, he goes to the Fox offices significantly more than Lachlan Murdoch does. Lachlan Murdoch mostly operates out of Australia. Um, he calls in, you know, 
to to engage in in some events, but he doesn't really you know run the place in the same way that Rupert Murdoch has. And according to the statement, um, Rupert Murdoch's still going to be there. So there's going to be a shadow of Murdoch, and I think in some respects the the culture will be sustained in part because his presence. But from a decision-making capacity, what this does mean is that at minimum, Lachlan Murdoch is going to have a lot more latitude to be sort of the ultimate and final decision-maker, which is something that he shared with Rupert Murdoch up until this point. And that means that he'll he'll be able to sort of set the vision for the strategic investments that the business makes. And I think that's going to be the one difference. But day to day, we're not really going to feel much except for the fact that Lachlan Murdoch has a tolerance for even more extreme content than Rupert Murdoch does. Now, of course, it shouldn't be a surprise to many, given that he's 92 years old. But some are saying um, that the reason he stepped down um, so quickly, the surprise announcement, was because he doesn't want to testify in the Smartmatic case. Explain what happened. I mean, you have this corporation that now has to pay nearly $800 million to Dominion and explain what that was about. And now Smartmatic, $2.7 billion. So it's, it's really hard to overstate just how damaging for Fox Corporation um, Rupert Murdoch's deposition was in the Dominion case. Um, it was actually a, a devastating deposition that had consequences not just for the case, but also for the future of his companies. Um, just before the deposition started, Rupert Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch were actually going to remerge his companies. Fox Corporation and News Corp were in the process of being remerged. Um, that was something they were undertaking. Um, a few days after his deposition, because it was so disastrous, they could no longer make the case to the shareholders of News Corp that it would be a viable sort of merger. And they actually had to scuttle those plans. And what happened during the deposition, essentially, is that Rupert Murdoch undermined Fox's defense. Um, one of Fox's defenses was that uh, was claiming that the Fox hosts were not advancing and 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 are making the claims themselves. They were not promoting them. They were simply giving. They were simply covering the claims that other people were making. And during his deposition, Rupert Murdoch had repeatedly acknowledged. Actually, the Fox hosts were promoting these claims. The Fox hosts were endorsing them. That was his word. That totally eliminated one of Fox's most major defenses. And there was a lot of other stuff during the deposition as well. But in part, it really undermined the case. So from a legal perspective, there's real value in trying to make the argument in subsequent depositions. But well, he's not in charge anymore. So you might be able to get discovery, but you shouldn't treat him the way you would treat an active decision maker. I think that's going to be a tough argument for them to make, but it does give them an additional leg to stand on. Uh, and I think that's a part of it. I also think the other part of it is that, uh, uh, you know, Things are not great at Fox right now. There's, you know, they are. They've suffered about a 30% loss in their audience ever since Tucker Carlson left. Um, that audience hasn't come back. They don't have the same power and influence that they had. In effect, it's not as fun. Um, this is, you know, Fox and his media properties are as much about profit as they are about power. And as that power starts to wane and diminish, uh, you sort of lose the incentive to sort of, you know, weather all the other slings and arrows that go with with running this corporation. So I think those are the two pieces that sort of led to this motivation and. And it also makes it clear that because it's going to be a tumultuous period, having just one decision maker that can be pointed to, I think, makes it easier for that person to navigate the, the, the you know, the sort of the train. And I, I obviously that's that's a reflection of his leadership. He wanted to signal that Lachlan is going to be the one weathering the storms for the year ahead. It might surprise many to hear that Rupert Murdoch hates Donald Trump. 
Given the role of Fox when it comes to uh, Trump's run for the presidency, both before and now, explain what that relationship is all about, Angela. You know, Ruben Murdoch has always thought, you know, Trump was just sort of a creature of tabloids and not somebody that should be taken seriously, that was full of bluster, that was unpredictable and volatile. That's the thing that Rupert Murdoch doesn't like, right, is is volatility. Uh, and obviously there's some other parts of it. But one of the things that, that Fox News did is they sort of built the demand amongst the Republican base for the types of claims that Trump were then echoed and that made him popular. The Fox News made Trump acceptable to the Republican Party. And Fox News introduced a lot of the lies that Trump then parroted during the 2016 election. So one, sort of Rupert Murdoch had a hand in making the Republican Party more extreme. And then on top of that, uh, as Trump started to, you know, when there was that first tussle during the 2016 primaries, where Trump started to criticize Fox for not being supportive of him enough, um, Trump won that fight. He was able to leapfrog Fox News, speak directly to the Fox News audience and get the Fox News audience to kind of pressure Fox to be more supportive and sympathetic to Fox. So ever since then, there's always been this weird tension where Rupert Murdoch accepted that even if he didn't really like him, he could use him. So in the early days of the Trump administration, Rupert Murdoch spoke to him regularly. In fact, he was trying to pressure Trump uh, into getting at the time uh, CNN's parent company to force a spinoff of CNN so that he could make another run to trying to buy he was trying to leverage the power of the presidency uh, in order to sort of further advantage his political and his business interests. Um, it's something that Rupert Murdoch always wants. He does this all across the world, by the way. He uses his media properties to sort of identify political people that he could put into the positions as the heads of government, because that then gives him influence and he can get a return on investment. So there's always been this tension. Uh, there's always been this tension there. And I think in the during the in the wake of what we've seen with Dominion, uh, it's true. And some of this came out dur during the intro that ultimately Rupert Murdoch blames Donald Trump for the position that Fox was in. Um, and it, he's wrong about that. It was an active decision by Fox to amplify and help build the case that the election was stolen based on these fabrications and lies. But he's right about one thing. Fox was stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, they would experience blowback from their audience if they didn't do more to advance and tout those election lies. Part of that is because of Trump, but the main part of that is because Fox News built these appetites amongst a very large part of our of our country among and their audience that they didn't really have a choice but to continue to feed those appetites with these lies. Angela Carson, uh, Media Matters has a piece. Um, Lachlan Murdoch's succession leaves him alone at the helm of a global empire. Here's why that's troubling. Um, explain his politics and his brother's politics, James Murdoch. I think the two biggest, you know, there's this idea that somehow James Murdoch is is a liberal. He's not a liberal. Um, Lachlan Murdoch is certainly not a liberal. Lachlan Murdoch is much more of a reflection of his father's politics. Um, but they they differ on a few major things. Um, one is that. James Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch differ on climate change. Um, James Murdoch believes that climate change is going to destroy the world uh, and it requires a response and action and that as media properties that you have an obligation to tell the truth about climate change. Lachlan Murdoch does not believe that. He believes that the climate threat is overhyped uh, and that it is an effort by liberals uh, and elites to exercise control over the general public. Uh, and that is a major difference. The other difference is that Lachlan Murdoch 
wasn't just whether or not he believed the lies about the election. Um, he was tolerant of them. Uh, and in fact, he helped he put he actively helped spread misinformation during the 2020 election uh, by calling into producers and saying, hey, that host is not giving enough credence to these attacks that uh, on the election. You better get them to change their coverage in real time. He had an active hand in, in shifting Fox's direction around that. James uh, James Murdoch would argue that that's that's bad. That's destructive. You shouldn't be doing that. And you know they had other differences around you know politics. So during Black Lives Matter, for example, um, you know James Murdoch thought that there did need to be more discussion around a racial reckoning, whereas Lachlan Murdoch was more in the. Tucker Carlson camp. Um, he sort of softly endorsed white genocide, the notion that white culture is being systematically uh, destroyed and eliminated by by elites. Um, and so there are some differences, but at its core, Lachlan Murdoch is, is, is much more of a conservative. Um, and it, his worldview, though, is a bit more brutal than his dad's. Um, his dad, at his core, is still a believer in building things. Now, these things are instruments of deceit and power and profit, um, but he still be- he, he built, he created uh, news companies and properties and media properties and media outlets. Um, there's a sentimentality that Rupert Murdoch brought to the table that ha- I think at minimum grounded wh- how far he was willing to go because at his core, he was trying to create businesses. Um, Lachlan Murdoch, in effect, is a, is a bit more of a nihilist. Uh, and that means that uh, there's not much of a core there that will tether him. If it serves a short-term interest, he will engage in it. And he doesn't really bring a sentimentality to the businesses that his father did. And what that does mean is that they'll burn brighter and hotter. Angelo, the New York Times reported James Murdoch um, has raised the possibility he would seek to rally his two sisters to vote with him to wrest control of the company away from Lachlan after their father's death. It used to be uh, people talked about um, if Rupert Murdoch dies, right, um, or rather when Rupert Murdoch dies, but it changed to if he ever dies. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's a real thing, by the way. I mean, the way the, the companies are structured, they're owned by a trust. And the trust, uh, Rupert Murdoch exercises total control over the trust while he's alive. Uh, but when he dies, each of his children get an equal vote. Um, and there are four of them. And so uh, really just James has to rally his siblings and Lachlan wouldn't be in control anymore. That's an important thing to consider for what it means for Lachlan's tenure. What it does mean is that he doesn't have a long runway. Um, if you're Lachlan Murdoch and you're in control and you have the reins and you have this massive you know, set of properties and all of these resources to make investments, you know that your time is limited and that the clock is ticking. And so it's in his interest to make as many moves as he wants as fast as possible um, so that uh, he has a chance to do them because he does know that right, right around the bend, James is going to try to re- wrestle control of the company away from him. So this succession battle is actually not over. Um, we're basically in the semi finals right now. Uh, but and when Rupert Murdoch passes, there will be an, an, an additional succession battle. I think what Lachlan is hoping is that he can readjust or re-maneuver the company in a way uh, that somehow he, he's able to insulate himself from a succession battle or spin off the things that are most important to him. There was some talk a while ago about spinning off Fox and buying it through a separate company. Uh, so there's a lot of maneuvers that, that remain to be seen. So and I, uh, and that, that's a reality. As we wrap um When you look at News of the World, one of the oldest tabloids in Britain, it closed, Murdoch closed it almost overnight after it was just a wash in scandal. You have Michael Wolff, who just wrote a biography of Rupert Murdoch, um, who told Vanity Fair, 
speaking about Fox, I think it will uh, cease to exist in the present form. Uh, do you see that possibly happening? I mean, could Fox be sold off, what, to someone like uh, Elon Musk, right? He'll drop FO and right. just be X. Yeah, I do think that Fox News in its current form will no longer exist, and we're starting to see that 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 happen. Um, you know, most recently with the first Republican debate, typically Fox is the sole media partner, uh, and yet they sh- they didn't have streaming rights to it this time. They shared that with an online sort of YouTube alternative called Rumble that the RNC sanctioned. That would have been unheard of in previous elections because there wasn't a counterbalance to Fox. Um, for the last 25 years, Fox News and-, and Rush Limbaugh were the center of gravity amongst the massive right-wing media echo chamber. They were the conductor for this course. And right now, the right-wing media is is a is a chorus without a conductor. They don't exert the same influence that they had. Their ratings are down. Um, the business fundamentals are changing, and so they don't really have a plan for what happens on the other side of all these changes in consumption habits. The one thing that isn't going to change, and and it really was just determine the speed at which Fox sort of declines, um, is what happens with these cable fights. Um, about seventy percent of Fox's revenue is actually up for grabs right now because they're trying to renew their contracts with all these cable companies. Companies. They're trying to get massive increases in what cable companies pay them. If they're successful at doing that, then Fox News will look and feel the same for the, at least the next six years. Um, if they're not as successful, then Fox will start to adjust and, and weaken even faster because they, they, they won't be a profitable company anymore, which would have never been conceivable even six months ago that Fox News would not be profitable. So I, I do agree that, that consumption habits, the changes in the landscape, and for the first time ever, um, they they're not really sitting at the center of gravity that that could be worse for all of us because it depends on who comes in the right wing landscape right now is, is bloodthirsty. Um, but it also could mean that they never get another conductor and a right wing media uh, only is powerful when it functions as an echo chamber. If it doesn't have a conductor, then it's just noise and you can't really operationalize noise. That's been the real power of Fox, that it was able to operationalize that media apparatus and really create that echo, which you then could reverberate through the rest of the media, through culture and leverage it for power and change. Angela Carson, I want to thank you for being with us. President of Media Matters speaking to us from Washington, D.C. Next up, President Biden's invited the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to the White House after the two men on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly. Critics say Biden is now embracing Israel's apartheid system. Stay with us. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Protesters are planning to gather today outside the United Nations, where Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is scheduled to address the UN General Assembly. 
On Wednesday, President Biden met with Netanyahu on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly in their first meeting since Netanyahu returned to office in December as head of the most right-wing government in Israeli history. Biden reportedly invited Netanyahu to the White House for a future meeting. In recent months, the Biden administration's criticized the gutting of the judiciary by Netanyahu's far-right government and its expansion of illegal settlements in the occupied West Bank. But the Biden administration continues to send Israel $3.8 billion in annual military funding to help Israel run what many human rights groups describe as an apartheid state. So far this year, Israeli forces have killed at least 240 Palestinians, including six on Tuesday, the day before Biden and Netanyahu met. This is President Biden speaking as their meeting began. We're going to discuss some of the hard issues, and that is upholding democratic values that lie at the heart of our partnership, including uh, checks and balances in our systems, and preserving a path to a negotiated two-state solution, and uh, ensuring that Iran never, never acquires a nuclear weapon. Because even where we have some differences, my commitment to Israel, as you know, is ironclad. I, uh, I think without Israel, there's not a Jew in the world that's secure. I think Israel is essential. During the meeting, President Biden also pushed for Israel to reach a deal to fully normalize relations with Saudi Arabia. Today's protest against Netanyahu is scheduled for 4 p.m. outside the United Nations. A key organizer of that demonstration is Jewish Voice for Peace. Beth Miller, the political director of JVP Action, spoke to Democracy Now! This morning, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be addressing the United Nations General Assembly. And he's going to be attempting to justify his government's violence and racism against Palestinians. And he's almost certainly going to falsely claim that his government's brutality against Palestinians somehow protects Jews. That is simply not true. So today, New York, the New York City chapter of Jewish Voice for Peace is taking to the streets in front of the UN to protest Netanyahu and Israel's apartheid government. Right now, the Israeli government is demolishing Palestinian homes, throwing Palestinian children into military prisons, locking millions of people in Gaza under military blockade. So we're going to be making it clear that no leaders of this government, including Netanyahu, are welcome in New York City. More importantly, that it's time for the U.S. government to end the flow of $3.8 billion every single year to the Israeli military. We're joined now by two guests, Alex Keynes, a senior reporter for Jewish Currents. His new piece is titled Biden's Legacy Will Be Apartheid. And Yusuf Munayir is a Palestinian-American analyst, head of the Israel-Palestine program at Arab Center, Washington, D.C. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Alex Kane, let's begin with you. That title, Biden's Legacy Will Be Apartheid. Um, yet many would say that Biden has been critical of this, what many describe as Israel's most far-right government in its history. Talk about uh, how the significance of this meeting with Netanyahu this week and inviting him to the White House. Thanks, Amy. So the, um, the meeting at the UN General Assembly was notable for uh, where it was not. It was not at the White House, and that was 
taken in Israel and the United States as a rebuke of Netanyahu for pursuing a far-right agenda to gut the power of the Israeli judiciary, which Biden is very concerned with because Biden sees Israel as a fellow liberal democracy. So the the meeting, the fact that the meeting took place at the UN General Assembly rather than at the White House was a sort of symbolic rebuke. And Biden's State Department has issued many, many, many statements of condemnation of Israel's plans in the West Bank when they build illegal settlements and legalize outposts that were previously under Israeli law illegal, and uh, as well as um, you know, kill Palestinians, including Palestinian Americans. The State Department has repeatedly told Israel to um, uh, calm down the situation in the West Bank. Um, but the, these, these are merely symbolic rebukes. The Biden administration has refused to even think about conditioning um, U.S. military aid to Israel on respect for Palestinian human rights. They have shielded the country from pressure at the United Nations over its illegal settlements and and have continued to stress the importance of the U.S.-Israel alliance. So we should be clear that these um, that Biden is deeply uncomfortable with this far-right Israeli government because it has an agenda at odds with how Biden conceives of Israel. But um, he continues to support Israel with um, money and diplomatic support. And so when Biden says his support for Israel is ironclad, it basically means that his support for Israel is unconditional, even as it consolidates an apartheid rule in the occupied territories and escalates ethnic cleansing processes that are going on right now. And the issue of Saudi Arabia, when Joe Biden ran for president, he said he would make MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, a pariah for the assassination of the Washington Post columnist, Jamal Khashoggi, among other human rights issues. But now the U.S. pushing for normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, Biden believes that the fundamental um, root of the the sort of conflict in the Middle East that Israel is involved with is Arab rejection of Israel as a Jewish state. And so as a result, he's doubling down on Trump era normalization deals known as the Abraham Accords in which Israel um, in exchange for dropping um, plans to declare annexation of the West Bank, uh, Israel normalized ties with the United Arab Emirates as well as Bahrain and Morocco. Um, and so uh, when Biden came in, he, he decided to, to pursue this. And now with Saudi Arabia, he's looking to basically um, bring, uh, bring Israel, Saudi Arabia together with some serious U.S. guarantees of uh, there's talk of a, a U.S. defense treaties with both Saudi Arabia and Israel, which would bind the U.S. to come to the defense of these two repressive countries. And really what, what the Abraham Accords will do, there's a lot of talk of you know, how this will help uh, the Palestinians who are, of course, under a brutal military occupation. Um, but what, what Saudi normalization with Israel would do at US, with, with US help would be to further isolate and marginalize Palestinians. So it's not gonna help regional peace, it's just gonna further consolidate Israeli apartheid, this time with the blessing of the most important uh, Muslim uh, state in, in, in the region. Let's bring Yusuf Munayir into this conversation, Palestinian-American, as they met on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly. Um, That's Biden and Netanyahu. Uh, This was just a day after uh, six Palestinians were killed by Israeli forces. Can you talk about the significance of this? That's among 
about 240 Palestinians who've been killed by Israeli forces so far this year. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Amy. That's that's correct. You know, in, in 2022, last year, uh, the United Nations noted that it was the single deadliest uh, year for Palestinians in the West Bank uh, being killed by the Israeli military uh, in nearly two decades of them keeping track of, of those numbers and um, the pace uh, that we are seeing for 2023 uh, looks to uh, far um, uh, go go over the numbers from the the record setting year um, the the year before. I think you know if we're to if we're to describe uh, the Biden administration as in any way critical uh, of uh, the Israeli government and and um, and Netanyahu in particular, we really need to to put that kind of criticism in uh, perspective. Uh, and in the context, the extreme context, which we are seeing on uh, the ground of unprecedented violence against Palestinians on a daily basis, not just uh, being carried out by the Israeli military, which, you know, as you as you noted, has uh, been um, accused by various human rights organizations, Palestinian, Israeli and international human rights organizations of committing the crime of apartheid, uh, but also violence against Palestinians at the hands of of Israeli settlers who are running amok in the West Bank, uh, feeling a uh, sense of support from an extremist uh, government in ways that they have never uh, felt before, uh, and uh, really conducting attacks on Palestinians with a with a, a sense of, of uh, impunity. Um, and and all of this is happening alongside, of course, the, this Israeli government um, attempting a massive uh, legislative power grab to ensure that right wing forces in Israel remain in power in Israel for years to come. Um, and so while we've heard some some mild criticism from the Biden administration, particularly around these judicial issues, uh, that um, criticism does not match the uh, extreme situation on the ground. Uh, and uh, in fact, it seems completely uh, ignorant of the very dangerous realities. Couple that with the fact that the Biden administration is also doing for Netanyahu things that uh, other administrations have not been willing or able to do before. This American administration is racing towards uh, uh, granting Israel entry into the uh, U.S. visa waiver program. Um, something that uh, Israel has sought for many years that the Biden administration seems willing to bend over backwards to accommodate, even if it means accepting the discrimination of Palestinian Americans uh, traveling into and through Israeli controlled uh, borders. It's also working on providing Netanyahu now with perhaps his biggest political achievement in normalizing ties uh, with uh, Saudi Arabia. When one considers the degree of severity uh, of the situation on the ground, the rampant violence against Palestinians, the way this extreme right wing government is dedicated to annexation uh, and destroying any possibilities of peace, uh, and then puts that alongside what this administration is actually doing, it's hard to think of this administration as any way critical, but rather providing full-throated support for, for continued apartheid. Do you see a difference in concrete ways between the Biden policy towards Israel and Trump's policy towards Israel? You know, in some ways, the Biden administration policy is worse because I think it um, uh, it's more hypocritical. With Trump, with Trump you had this 
you know, uh, ethno-nationalist approach that was at least uh, in harmony uh, with what um, uh, what the Israelis were trying to do and what other right-wing leaders across the world were trying to do. Uh, with the Biden administration, you have language about human rights being at the center of foreign policy, uh, but the reality is completely different. You see this not just with Israel, of course, but with Saudi Arabia, that the administration is is normalizing its relations with uh, after calling uh, you know them a, a pariah a few years ago. You see that as well with India, uh, which has just been um, accused of a, a gruesome act of transnational repression in in neighboring uh, Canada, uh, and and many people have been outspoken and criticizing the human rights violations of the Modi regime in India that that the Biden administration welcomed uh, with a red carpet here for a state visit earlier this year. So the Biden administration, you hear talk about human rights, you hear talk about democracy, but the reality is is quite the contrary. And I think that hypocrisy is what separates the most uh, from Donald Trump, uh, because you, know, you, you knew what you were getting with Donald Trump and he was quite honest about it. And with the Biden administration, um, you, you hear talk about democracy, but the reality is that they're supporting apartheid and authoritarianism in many places around the globe. Very quickly, Alex Kane, you're a senior reporter for Jewish Currents. Do you see Jewish public opinion in the United States shifting around Israel and the occupation of the Palestinian territories? Yes, um, particularly amongst young people, but not just young people. People are um, waking up, and particularly now as Netanyahu's um, extremist government puts on display a shocking level of violence. We have um, over a thousand Palestinians that have been displaced this year. Their villages literally wiped off the map. Young American Jews, uh, and I think many other, even not not just young American Jews, um, are, are waking up and seeing this. But um, that is not being reflected in the uh, organized American Jewish establishment, which continues to um, lobby the U.S. government to to support Israel as it does. So the the sort of there's a there's a there's a real gap between Jewish public opinion and what the uh, organized American Jewish community is telling uh, the Biden administration to do. Alex Kane, want to thank you for being with us, senior reporter for Jewish Currents. We'll link to your piece. Biden's legacy will be apartheid. And Yusuf Munayir, Palestinian American analyst, head of the Israel Palestine program at Arab Center, Washington D.C. Next up, we speak with California Congressmember Ro Khanna as Republican infighting could soon lead to a government shutdown and more. Back in 30 seconds. Grave by Black Sabbath. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman. We turn now to Congress in the shutdown showdown. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is accused right-wing extremists in the House of wanting to, quote, burn the whole place down. 
after a handful of Republican hardliners rebelled and blocked a Pentagon spending bill. It's become increasingly likely the federal government will shut down October 1st because fighting within the Republican caucus has prevented McCarthy from being able to pass any spending bills. On Thursday, McCarthy sent lawmakers home for an extended weekend. This is House Speaker McCarthy talking to reporters Thursday after the latest setback. It's frustrating in the sense that I don't understand why anybody votes against bringing the idea and having the debate. And then you've got all the amendments if you don't like the bill. This is a whole new concept of individuals that just want to burn the whole place down. That doesn't work. We're joined now from the Ken and Rotunda in Washington, D.C. by Democratic Congressmember Ro Khanna to talk about the possible shutdown as well as the UAW strike and other issues. Uh, Congressmember, welcome back to Democracy Now! So what does this shutdown mean if it were to happen? And talk about whether you think House Speaker McCarthy is going to um, lose his position as Speaker. Amy, it's chaos here. The sad thing is it has a real impact on Americans. If you need a social security check or you need something from the government, now it's a 35 minute wait time. It could be hours wait time to get anyone if the government shuts down. Our military would not get paid if we cannot pass a defense appropriation bill. Millions of workers in the federal government wouldn't get paid. Now they may get back pay, but if someone is living on fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, how are they going to pay rent? How are they going to pay mortgage? So it is highly irresponsible. Just this morning, we finally have one Republican, Mike Lawler, saying that he may side with Democrats, sign a discharge petition to get the government funded. Uh, if we can get five or six reasonable Republicans to do that, we can avert this crisis. But McCarthy has just failed to do the most basic function of a Speaker of the House, keep the government open and functioning. What does it mean when the government shuts down? Explain who gets affected right off October 1st. Well, all the federal workers get affected, as I pointed out, the military personnel would not be paid. You would not get pay if you're a federal employee. Uh, this will impact the level of services that people get at the parks. It'll impact the level of services they get if you need a social security check or you need a government assistance for anything. It will impact our immigration services at a time where the Republicans are screaming, saying that we are not processing immigration cases fast enough. This would slow that down. So it would just be a total self-inflicted injury that would make life much harder for ordinary Americans, particularly for people who serve in our military or in the federal government in any way. You talk about the military. You also have what's going on in the Senate right now um, with uh, the Alabama former football coach, now Senator um, uh, Tuberville, stopping the uh, confirmation of top military officials. Uh, explain how that works in couple with the surprise that House Republican members are no longer supporting funding the military. Well, look, to the extent that there's some House Republicans who are against the bloated Pentagon budget of a trillion dollars, uh, I welcome that. I mean, I uh, interviewed or questioned Lockheed Martin CEO about 40% profits on the Patriot system, and we definitely need accountability and a strategic cuts in the defense contractor profits. The problem is you can't just stop funding uh, our military and stop paying the troops. And that's what the extreme Republicans are for. And you can't do what 
uh, Senator Tuberville is doing, which is hold up the appointment of senior military uh, leaders and officials. That is hurting the morale of the military. And if there were ever a conflict, it hurts our readiness. It's highly irresponsible. And to my knowledge, no senator has ever done that before holding up senior military appointments. It shows the need for systematic reform of the United States Senate. Congressmember Khanna, um, let's talk about the historic United Auto Workers strike, which just marked a week since some, well, close to 13,000 auto workers walked off the job. Ahead of the strike, you co-authored an op-ed in The Guardian with UAW President Sean Fain, where you wrote, quote, the climate crisis and income inequality are the two greatest challenges facing our generation. This is a pivotal moment for the American economy and the workers that make it run. Corporations are pushing hard to use this moment to expand their power. We're mobilizing for a new model that puts working people, climate justice and human rights before profit. You and the UAW president, Sean Fain, wrote. If you can talk about this and President, former President Trump now heading to Detroit, he's attacking the UAW leadership but saying he's supporting the workers, but going to try to drive a, um, a sort of wedge around the issue of electric vehicles and saying this kind of climate change approach will um, will make workers lose jobs. Amy, Sean Fain is an American hero. He's not just speaking out for UAW. He's speaking out for what the working class has wanted for the last four decades. That's what I heard on the picket lines when I was out with UAW members in Wayne, Michigan and in Toledo, Ohio. I mean, what Sean is saying is these CEOs are making $30 million, 300 to one, the median worker wage. That is up from 20 to one in the 1960s. These big three auto companies are making $21 billion in profits. They are taking that money and putting $5 billion in buying their own stock to enrich their shareholders. And yet for workers, many of them are not whole from the cuts they had in 2008, where they voluntarily agreed to reduce their salaries because of the Great Recession. They still have not been made whole for that. It is wrong. It's a symptom of the gross income inequality in this country. And Sean Fain is finally standing up to it. He's going to win. We, the, there is now two sides to this. They should agree to the increases that Sean Fain wants. In many cases, that's just gonna bring people up to the 2008 levels if they're temporary or part-time workers. And I believe Donald Trump is just demagoguing the issue. His view that we should not have electric vehicles means that all those electric vehicles would be produced in China. Of course, we wanna make sure that those electric vehicles are produced in the United States, not in China. And we wanna make sure that those jobs are good union jobs. That's what Sean Fain and UAW are fighting for. Hakeem Jeffries walked the picket line. Do you think President Biden should? Uh, do, what do you feel about your colleague, Congressmember Debbie Dingell, who represents the Ford, um, uh, the workers at the Ford plant um, that is on strike, uh, saying that Biden should keep his distance? Well, I thought Hakeem did a great job and Catherine Clark coming out. I'd love to see other members of Congress go out to the picket line. Uh, it would be good for President Biden uh, to come out either to a union hall. He could go out to UAW Local 900 uh, or to a picket line. I know the logistics are hard. I think what Congresswoman Debbie Dingell meant is that the president and his team shouldn't 
intervene uh, in the negotiations. And the UAW has the upper hand. We should uh, strengthen that hand and side with them and not try to preempt their negotiation uh, in having a deal that doesn't get what the workers really need. Congressmember Khanna, you serve as co-chair of the Congressional Caucus on India and Indian Americans. Can you talk about this growing dispute between Canada and India after the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau publicly accused Narendra Modi and the Indian government of assassinating a Canadian Sikh leader shot dead outside his temple in June. A Canadian officials told AP Trudeau's claim was based in part on surveillance of Indian diplomats inside Canada collected by Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Alliance. Can you respond to the allegation against Modi? Well, there are, of course, very serious allegations, and I echo what Jake Sullivan and our State Department have said, that the United States needs to cooperate in uh, in a transparent investigation, and we expect a transparent investigation, and then uh, whoever the perpetrators are to be brought to justice. Uh, but there has to be full transparency, and there has to be all the facts that come out, and obviously there very serious uh, allegations. And I do think that Jake Sullivan and the State we Department have to leave it are there, taking it seriously. California Congressmember Rokana, we thank you so much. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we're going to do another piece here. This is from uh, Democracy Now! as well. It's from the uh, shorter 30-minute, 34-minute piece, and this is, you'll, you'll hear who it's about. I've got to get the sound to go up before I turn this on. Okay, here we go. Um, oh. Coup, the Nixon-backed coup, the Kissinger-backed coup, the ITT-backed coup. Oh, many Latin America. So he talked about oh, to we'll see the TV back continues museum by our, and that's the number to for free speech. And they get $6,000 if you pledge 2000 And you've got a date here in New York for dinner and a show, and I can't wait to host you. Please, whether you want to get Naomi Klein's books or this you want to get the other $8,000, That's the number to call to ensure free speech TV continues. It really matters. You're looking at the Suicide Museum by Ariel Dorfman. He was one of the last people to see the democratically elected president of Chile alive. When we interviewed Gustavo Petro, he talked about, and for so many Latin Americans and for U.S. activists, the coup in Chile shaped them. The U.S.-backed coup, the Nixon-backed coup, the Kissinger-backed coup, the ITT-backed coup that overthrew Salvador Allende, who died in the palace with Augusto Pinochet rising to power, ruling for over seven We're a group of very small number of criminal industrial conspirators. It's yours for $150 or $12.50 a month, and because we're in the final hours of the final day of the fundraising drive on free speech tv it's being trickled you pledge 150 free speech tv gets 450 free speech tv is corporate free it's viewer supported we're urging you to call 
in right now, 877-378-8669. In a moment, we're going to hear from Naomi Klein, but now we go to Ariel Dorfman. This as the New York Congress member Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Bernie Sanders call for a resolution apologizing for the U.S. rule and the role in the coup on September 11th, 1973, as Henry Kissinger is feted, having just reached his 100th birthday. Arnold Dorfman has very different thoughts on Henry Kissinger, calls him a war criminal for Chile and other reasons, like Vietnam, like Laos, like Indonesia, but we'll talk about that another time. We urge you to call 877-378-8669 or go to freespeech.org. For a few minutes, let's go to Ariel Dorfman. This fundraising drive encompassed that other September 11th. And on September 11th, we played the interview with Ariel Dorfman right through the massive climate march in New York City. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, you can also get simply an FSTV tote bag for a $50 contribution. But let's go to the interview with Professor Ariel Dorfman. Um, who talks about that day 50 years ago in Santiago, Chile, in La Moneda, that's the palace where Salvador Allende died under siege from the Augusto Pinochet forces. Ariel Dorfman was a cultural aide and advisor. This is how he described that day. First, Amy, I'd like to thank you for having me on this day of mourning and defiance, and also resistance and memory. To how I lived the coup, it turns out that I was supposed to be at La Manera that morning and dawn. I was supposed to have slept the night there because I, that was one of the ideas. When you had turns where you were supposed to receive the, the, the news, whether there was a coup happening. And I switched places with one of my dear friends, who in fact was uh, captured at La Manera on the 11th, he was um, ex tortured and then executed. So I'm, I'm in a sense survivor because of him, or at least so I felt all these years, as I explained in the Suicide Museum, my novel. Uh, a series of other circumstances meant that I didn't get there because I slept at my home on the 10th of the evening instead of sleeping at La Moneda. And when I was supposed to be called by uh, the minister I was serving, sort of the chief of staff of, of President Allende, called on a list. And he, he, nobody called me. And so I woke up much later and I wasn't able to get to La Moneda. And what happened years later when I met him and, and I asked, why did you take me off the list? Why wasn't I called? And he said, somebody had to tell the story. And, you know, I had already figured out in some sense that's why I was spared, or at least that's what I made sense of the, the, the darkness that surrounds all this, you know, the, the, the chaos that surrounds all this, uh, that I was meant to tell the story. And in some sense, I'm doing that right now. It was 50 years later. I was 31 years old then. I was almost a kid, you know. Uh, 31 years later, I'm still telling that story. And now I've told it again in, in, in this new novel. But I've been telling it. In fact, I've been telling it on Democracy Now! several times already which is the story of Chile, what happened, why it happened, why that coup happened, but also how we resisted and how we changed history by resisting and how we're an example of how, if you believe enough in democracy now and tomorrow and the future, then you will be able to defeat the dictators of now and tomorrow and the future. 
And there is often, what's the significance of having the new president of, of Chile, Gabriel Boric, be part of the commemoration of, uh, and to make sure the world doesn't forget what happened 50 years ago in Chile? You know, when Boric was elected, the first thing he did, uh, when he was inaugurated, really, the first thing he did when he entered La Moneda, that palace that was bombed and assaulted and destroyed and where Allende died, he broke protocol and he moved on the, on the plaza where, where in front of where the, the, the Moneda is, where the presidential palace is, and he went to spend a minute contemplating in silence the, uh, the statue that Allende, of Allende has been erected there. And then he went into the, the, the building and, and he quoted Allende's last speech and said, never again will this happen. We will never again allow this to happen. Now, Boric is not, of course, Allende anymore. I mean, you, you can't repeat dream. But he is a wonderful example of how the new generations have not forgotten. Uh, what Boric is trying to do, and it's very important to, to, to mention this, he's trying to get all the presidents of all political parties from the right and the left to sign a declaration, pluring that coup, and saying that there will never be a coup again. And the four right-wing parties have refused to sign that declaration. So he is looking towards the future. He's looking towards the fact that, that he's living in a country where 36% of the people still justify the coup. They still say the coup was good. They still think that Pinochet was a great statesman. Uh, we're still living in some sense under the shadow of Pinochet. And of course, we're living under the gigantic light and not the lighted shadow, we can call it, you know, of Salvador Allende. In some sense, I think that for many, many years, we're still going to have that struggle going on. And I, I feel privileged and honored and too humble, really, to be part of that struggle for memory, to keep that memory alive and not forget what happened there and not forget the glorious thousand days of Allende, where he tried for the first time in history to create a, a society was just and equal and liberated without shedding blood. All the revolutions before that, all of them from the French Revolution onward, had uh, violence at, at its origins and it killed many of its own supporters. And we never, never did that. In fact, we didn't kill not only our supporters, we didn't kill anybody. We didn't torture anybody. We didn't close Congress. We didn't close uh, the newspapers. We didn't toss the organizations or, or prohibit the trade unions. We didn't persecute anybody. These are all things that began to happen immediately on September 11th, 50 years ago. More or less at this time, I was hearing the last words of Allende, and we were, we were being hunted down. Can we talk about the U.S. role, which was so significant? 50 years after Allende's electoral win in 1970, the National Security Archive released a series of documents showing why and how President Nixon, as National Security Advisor Henry Kissinger, who just turned 100, sought first to prevent Allende from being inaugurated and later to oust him from the presidency. In a secret briefing paper on October 18, 1970, just weeks before Allende was to take office, Kissinger wrote, quote, our capacity to engineer Allende's overthrow quickly has been demonstrated to be sharply limited. The question, therefore, is whether we can take action, create pressures, exploit weaknesses, magnify obstacles, which at a minimum will either ensure his failure or force him to modify his policies at a maximum, might lead to situations where his collapse or overthrow later may be more feasible, he wrote. 
Two days after his inauguration in Santiago, Kissinger wrote, quote, the election of Allende as president of Chile poses for us one of the most serious challenges ever faced in this hemisphere. Um, if you, Ariel Dorfman, can talk about the role of the United States as Kissinger continually threatened and clearly, though he doesn't write specifically about this in his books, now that the documents are out shows how he fought to engineer this coup, at least to support it wholeheartedly. Well, Kissinger is is a war criminal. We all know that. And it's uh, shameful how he is being lionized constantly by the press and the bipartisan press in that sense. Uh, you know, Kissinger was right. He was right in the following sense. Allende was setting an example because the guerrillas in Latin America had basically failed. The, the urban guerrillas of the Tupamaros in Uruguay or the, the, the guerrillas that, that were fighting in the jungles of Colombia or Guatemala. That was not the way which, which would go forward for Latin America, as has been proven now, right, where we have a series of left-wing governments who won the ballot box. You're and listening to Ariel Dorfman, the Duke University professor emeritus, Chilean-American, one of the last to see it. Uh, Salvador Allende alive. The okay, that's. I just wanted to say, as we always know, that this was American bad coup, as he made very carefully by a war criminal, Kissinger. And what Salvador Allende did is he showed the world that. A democratic uh, society could come about in spite of the United States empire pretending to be a de democratic society. And for that, there is heaven to pay, I'll be polite. And there were way more than what they say 36,000 people murdered. There were millions because they took them underground and they slaughtered them under there. And there's something even worse. They fed them to critters under there. It's very vile. So, um, and that was under the auspices of the uh, present Pope when he was an archbishop down there. So this is what we've got. And the same thing in our 9-11, way more than just under 3,000 people killed, in and around 90,000, give or take. And this is the atrocity. And then we want to talk about, we talked about it earlier on the conference call, in Iraq and Joe Wilson and he exposed the United States and for the for that you know he got, he made a public statement embarrassed the United States royally and said there was no yellow cake in the hands of Saddam Hussein and he proved it and for that he was taken out and at the you know the numbers being very low, three four thousand uh, military were killed, and the, the number in two thousand and six, Rama went for a ride with Joe Wilson. Uh, 
in the car, his his pickup truck. And, of course, there was Secret Service agents uh, uh, in an S black SUV following him behind that uh, vehicle. And they followed him everywhere, but they arranged for something to happen to him to take him out vis-a-vis the so-called Secret Service. There was some kind of an agent that took care of that. And what for? Because they he took away the alibi for the United States to get to go and slaughter Iraqi people. Again, to the tune of, and the military were killed to the tune of two million military from the United States. And at that time, they have already had slaughtered upwards of five million Iraqi. And both of those numbers have gone up exponentially, and they're not telling the truth. We, the people now, are capable because there's higher energies coming in. It does not work with angry, uh, you know, subtle, violent wishes. It never works that way. And we have backup. Again, there's millions of galactics among us. They have donned physical forms so that they're not uh, you know, creating something that's not necessary. And they're beautiful beings and they're walking among us and they're not going to leave. And there's also a plan to take the 500,000 genocidal uh, ruthless uh, dark beings that have continue to profit from this kind of a organized, violent, hate-filled, warlike energies for profits everywhere in the world. And they will be removed permanently, and they will go to a place called Dracos, which is in the Orion's belt, and they will be tried by King Dracos and Princess Ardala for his daughter for intergalactic war crimes against humanity. And this is another thing we're going to learn. There are many planets with human beings on them all over the universe. And for sure in our local neighborhood, which is in the fourth quadrant of the Milky Way galaxy, there are 80 billion planets like Earth just in this fourth quadrant. And that's an estimate, at least that many. So we're going through a cosmic adjustment which will change society forever. And we will have divine government. And this is coming to a very twinkling of an eye moment. And love is the answer. All right, so I'm going to go to one more piece here. See the time. This is from last Tuesday on uh, 
the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, and he packs a punch. He is one of us. He's done so much to expose so many things, and he doesn't mince his words. And this is a about Justice Clarence Thomas again. And it's, it says it like it is. We've already touched on the fact that Joy Reid tonight on her show mentioned that Justice Clarence Thomas has visited Bohemian Grove numbers of times. And when you hear this stuff that he's also taken money for, and for what? For removing Roe v. Wade, the rights of women to do with their bodies as they see fit, and making them subjugated to men's whims as to what they think that they should do with their bodies. This is a real crime against humanities and rights, women's rights. That's taking us to the dark ages, everybody. Uh, we will apply love. So let's listen to Sheldon. Here we go. Is your plan to cap... Wait a minute. Let's... One second. One selling ceramic products for under $20 at these leading retailers today. Let's say, Mr. President, that you're a creepy billionaire and it is your plan to capture and control the Supreme Court, to take it over, just like 19th century robber barons would have taken over and captured the railroad commission that set the rates for their own railroad. Sounds like a pitch for a 1930s black and white movie. Let's say you sent millions of dollars, secret dollars, to the Federalist Society for it to funnel money to its employee and your operative, Leonard Leo. Let's say that Leonard Leo got his cred with you and your right-wing billionaire pals when he helped you kill the nomination to the Supreme Court of President George W. Bush's friend and White House counsel, Harriet Myers. A political hit job from the far right against a Republican president's nominee, which produced none other than Sam Alito. Okay, this doesn't sound like it's gonna have a Mr. Smith goes to Washington happy ending. Let's say you also sent millions of dollars to Leonard Leo's Judicial Crisis Network, a fictitious name front group for another front group operating out of the same hallway on the same floor in the same building as the Federalist Society. Let's say 
you sent Judicial Crisis Network secret millions of dollars. Checks as big as $15 million. Checks as big as $17 million. To run ads against Merrick Garland to help Mitch McConnell block his confirmation by the Senate. Let's say that for your millions of dollars to the Federalist Society, the Federalist Society allowed you to use his name on a list of Supreme Court nominees that you and your right-wing billionaire pals and Leonard Leo cooked up. A list that the Federalist Society never considered or approved, never an agenda item, never a vote, but a list from some back room of the Federalist Society pulled together by Leo and the billionaires that candidate Trump promised to follow. And let's say that when Trump kept that promise and nominated your chosen ones, you sent millions more to the Judicial Crisis Network and to Mitch McConnell's political operation, not just to stop Merrick Garland, but to push the confirmation of your chosen ones. Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. And let's say that to keep your chosen ones loyal and happy and entertained, you secretly paid for their personal lives. You paid for family tuitions. You bought family houses and let family members live rent free. You paid for lifestyles of the rich and famous level vacations, including free travel to resorts on private jets, travel on private yachts, and you gave them expensive gifts and you directed money to their spouses. And of course you hung out with them. And let's say that that last part, keeping them loyal and happy and entertained with all those gifts was illegal, illegal. Let's say that your loyalty gifts program required the chosen ones to file false federal disclosure forms and perhaps even false tax returns. Let's say that your loyalty gifts program might put you in trouble with the tax man for claiming false business expenses. How could that be? Let's say that the chosen ones were calling this bonanza of freebies personal hospitality. Personal hospitality, a term of art allowing non-disclosure under the disclosure laws. Let's say that they were all calling it personal hospitality, but you were calling the bonanza 
deductible business expenses of corporate yachts and jets. Then it wouldn't all add up. That's a lot of let's say, I know. But that's about what we're looking at with the Supreme Court right now. Joining us now is Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island. He's a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's chair of the Subcommittee on Federal Courts. He's also the host of the podcast, Making the Case. Uh, Senator Whitehouse, you sure made the case today, and the case came down in the end to possible tax crimes. Yeah, that is why both the Finance Committee, which oversees tax compliance, and the Judiciary Committee, which oversees the law that requires the justices to disclose gifts like this so that they fall into the right bucket. Um, that's why we're both, both committees are investigating this. There is very possible illegal conduct, but in order to find that out, we've got to complete our investigation and the billionaires through their lawyers have erected all kinds of stone walls. Yeah, we, uh, we've already heard uh, Justice Thomas offer the excuse that the disclosure forms were more complicated than he thought, apparently, and he, he didn't quite fully understand the requirements and the directions uh, for those disclosure forms. A very peculiar thing for a Supreme Court justice to say, given the complexity of matters that come before them, not to mention antitrust cases and all sorts of things. And of course, tax law comes before them, tax cases, uh, appeals of tax cases and tax evasion cases. And so it is conceivable that we have Supreme Court justices ruling on tax cases at the Supreme Court that, that get there. Uh, who may have violated tax law themselves. Yeah, and so some of these questions are pretty straightforward, like what income went to your spouse? You don't have to be a Supreme Court justice to answer that question, and yet these are the kinds of questions that tripped them up. They didn't trip them up because the questions were complicated. They tripped them up because they didn't want to give the answers. You know, as I as your story unfolded today so dramatically in that form that you gave it, uh, what you start to see is it gets to a point where Leonard, Leonard Leo and company literally have more money than they know what to do with. They, they use it for massive influence, but then they've got more sitting around. And that's at, at the point where they start turning toward this. How about creating lifestyles of the rich and famous Supreme Court justices? Yeah, the uh, just to give you an idea of the scale of this, uh, Lisa Graves from the Center for Media and Democracy has done very good research into this, and she's at $580 million in her count of what was spent through this whole array of front groups in this court capture operation. $580 million sounds like a really big number, but then after that, a right-wing billionaire named Barry Side gave Leonard Leo a slush fund of $1.6 billion to play with in his network of front groups. So if you, if you were stunned at nearly $600 million going into the effort to capture the court, 
They blew through that by an additional billion with the gift to Leonard Leo's slush fund. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, thank you for staying on the case. And we learn something every time you make a new presentation on this. So thank you very much. Thank you. And coming up today, a Georgia judge granted an unusual request to two of Donald Trump's co-defendants who are on their way to a speedy trial. That's next. Okay, well, we don't need to listen to that. We all know what that led to. Um, So, I'm going to read Aurora Ray's latest for today. So here we go. Let's do this. Oh, just to finish up, and I brought up Bohemian Grove, uh, where it gets much worse. See, he received all these millions of dollars from billionaires, and in exchange, he had a little, you might say, date with going to Bohemian Grove, so they had him uh, had the goods on him because there they do ritual sacrifice of t- of babies, newborn babies, and they kill them and they cook them like a turkey, and then they cut them and they eat their flesh and drink their blood. And this has been the case of numerous visits where this Supreme Court justice did those things. Um, Okay, Rainbird's with us, but we'll read this first. All right, here we go. The animals are like mirrors reflecting the pain you carry within you both psychologically and spiritually. They absorb this pain and in some cases even take on diseases. These animals are here to teach you to reflect what you need to see about yourselves, your pets in particular, often take on burdens to show you to show you out of loyalty and love yes this is so very true our oldest kitty she's about 13 or 14 Um, she had an incident uh, where she couldn't walk straight and she went into a panic she might have had a mild stroke and uh, one of her hind legs doesn't work right ever since where she uh, will be kind of not able to walk in the same way and sometimes that leg will give way and then she falls down And White Paw and one of the other kitties, the younger kitty, her name is Tegan. She's been used to, uh, you know, they would sleep together a lot for naps and stuff. And um, 
Now, White Paw is very bonded with Tegan, so Tegan realized something was really wrong, and Tegan was very sad, and it was she was reacting very strongly to all of that. So, again, this is another example of it's going on now, you know, right now. So, we just love them, and we um, meet the needs as always with love, more love. So, nature's healing magic. How pets and plants absorb and transmute our worries. Living in the harmony with nature is easier than you might think. All you have to do is communicate your desires to the world around you. Talk to the earth and nature in your thoughts and even out loud. As you ever find yourself surrounded by creatures of nature, do not be quick to dismiss them. Instead, acknowledge their presence and say, quote, How clever of me to teach myself in this capacity. I am understanding, little creatures, that you are attempting to show me something. Now, I will gather my wits about myself and begin to look inside. Begin to look inside. Sometimes you tell... Okay, Rama. You okay? Okay, it's just about time for you to uh, get ready. This might take another few minutes. Now, I will gather my wits about myself and begin to look inside. Sometimes you tend to put up barriers and screens to look out, to block out things that initiate you, excuse me, that irritate you so You don't have to confront who you truly are. Facing your true self might require changes you're not ready for. You might cling to the unhappiness rather than venturing into the unknown alone. Yet always remember, you are never truly alone. These creatures are here as your companions. Not your adversaries. Nothing in nature is out to harm you. It's just that you've been conditioned to believe otherwise. And that belief affects your reality. You might even subconsciously create situations that harm you. Yet harming yourself isn't as easy as you think. It takes a lot of effort to create illness and suffering. Many things promoted in our world aren't in your best interest. Often, fear is used to make money. So what does it take to stop this cycle? The animals are like mirrors, reflecting the pain you carry within you both psychologically and spiritually. They absorb this pain and in some cases even take on disease. You might not be aware of the conditions in which 
animals are raised for food. And it is causing distress among animal families. This distress can lead to disease. This is reminding me about there's not one place in the world where you can have pollution-free air to breathe, not even in the deepest forest. And it has to do, too, of the human part. Uh, You know, three-quarters of the world didn't eat any meat or dairy, and now the Western diet has influenced lots of those countries. So there's been a massive increase in the production, the mass production of animals, where this type of love has nothing to do with anything. It's just raise them and kill them for food. And we watched this about, you know, the animals like the cows and the pigs and such, they release methane gas, you know, from their derrieres. And it's, methane gas is 20 to 80% more toxic than carbon dioxide in the air. That being said, the massive increase of this methane gas in the air has a serious effect on our health because it makes the, the, the atmosphere even less healthy to breathe. Not only that, when you're mass producing for food, it's a very unhappy, sad way of life. And it, you know, when, as one, we're all one beingness. And so that has a very strong impact on our own feeling body. And the thing is, is that it's not the food for the human body at all. Uh, The science, again, is that there are no enzymes in the pancreas for any dairy or meat products at all, including eggs. In other words, that's not the food for the human body. It's scientifically diagnosed as an herbivore diet for the body. Herbivores. Herbivores. So love is the answer. And... As we evolve into higher consciousness, we won't choose to do these things. It's not healthy for the body. That's The food that you eat that's not for the enzymes that you have in your pancreas is considered toxins. Fight or flight. Many people are in fight or flight. Uh, like it's an emergency and they're doing all their daily lives. And, oh, this is... Coming, it's coming, it's coming. There's so much changing. Ah, okay, so these animals are here to teach you to reflect what you need to see about yourselves. Your pets, in particular, often take on burdens to show you out of loyalty and love. As you approach an animal, it can sense whether you come in peace or with hostility. When you treat all forms of life with equality and, ex- and respect, you will be ready to engage in higher level discussions. You'll begin to grasp how the divine force 
reveals itself in every aspect of existence. Intelligence exists in all living beings, and it is a mistake to label humans as the most evolved species. Life force and consciousness are present in everything. I just remember a teacher said that table you're sitting at has consciousness. This is true. Even in rocks and mountains, which often understand their purpose better than humans do, plants respond to the environment in which they grow as they are nurtured and spoken to in a loving, toxic-free environment. They thrive and they radiate positivity. I think I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. The plants, they're the, I, I remember talking with this lady, we were sitting around a table at Whole Foods and my friend sitting next to the, and there were others sitting around this table we didn't quite know, but we were sharing a table. And I was talking to my friend and I said, you know, I learned that the trees are just one beingness. Aspens, for instance, they all have just one root. And there's a massive, massive forest of aspen trees, but they're all one. They share one root together. And I said, you know, they're standing nations. They're known as the, the trees are known as standing nations. And uh, she said, they're probably the only standing nations around here. In other words, she was making a, an inference to human nations and what they do. Uh, it's true. It's time for us to change this. So plants respond to the environment in which they grow as they are nurtured and spoken to in loving, non-toxic-free environment. They thrive and radiate positivity. The plants and trees outside your home desire the same love and care. The plant kingdom is incredibly generous, as is the animal kingdom, both freely given and share, both freely give and share their energy. Plants and animals that you interact with Transmit this energy to others through hormone-like substances. Very interesting. Turn the page. (laughs) Okay. Some plants, when ingested, can connect you to other aspects of yourself and higher consciousness. Unfortunately, in the Western world, The idea of altering consciousness through plants has been unfairly associated with drugs. In many sacred ceremonies and rituals, specific plant parts from the living library are consumed to gain a deeper understanding of the earth's wisdom. Keep an open mind about the earth providing us with ways to comprehend her better. Some try to instill fear in us, yet in reality, being human means intentionally altering our consciousness and discovering the wonders of life. 
Many beneficial substances for the Western world exist within the plant kingdom. It is intriguing that there are efforts to destroy regions where people have explored the living library through plants. Plants offer insights into our planet and ourselves. Some are destroying the rainforests and parts of the living library intentionally. Often, tiny beetles, tree bark, or roots hold keys to balance, heal, and elevate human consciousness. Everything has a purpose, and as explored by humans, they give back and bestow gifts. Think of Earth as a giant library full of books and secrets. Everything in nature, such as animals and plants, is like a special key to unlocking the wisdom hidden in those books. As we treat them with kindness and respect, they help us discover amazing things about ourselves and our planet. Earth has been waiting for humans to discover this living miracle. It is time for a movement on the planet, a brave and growing community responding to Earth's call. Together, you will pave new paths toward a harmonious future. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho, Aurora Ray. And so, Rainbird, I see you there. I think this is the moment for passing the talking stick to you with this emerald serpent feathered one and fairies and feathers and rainbows and angels and all of the little people and the big people, Manahunis to Sasquatch. Here this talking stick comes. Okay, okay. I got it. Oh. <laughs> yes, it is. And I know you're full of wisdom, too, so let's hear what you have to share tonight. Mm. Oh, well, I just want to pick up on where you left off about the trees and the elementals. When I was uh, picking raspberries this summer, I usually picked the lower patch and and always had it down to the lower patch. And I thought, no, I'll go to the upper patch first. And I was there just for a few moments. And I heard this big crack and I turned around and I looked and I watched this tree fall. It was on the other side of the garden fence, which is pretty high at the deer fence. And it went, it fell right into the raspberry patch I was going to, I was going to pick. <laughs> and I go, oh my goodness, look at that. <laughs> and, and I went over and, and uh, looked at where it fell, after it fell. And I was really, with lots of gratitude that I wasn't standing there. <laughs> where it fell because I was headed that way and and heard no don't go there just go go, go this way first and <laughs> good so I listened to that yeah I listened to that and and uh, I was really grateful that it it was like it told me no don't come here <laughs> but what was amazing to me was that when it fell on the raspberry patch 
it, the branches only landed in the uh, aisles and not on the plants itself. And there wasn't one raspberry plant that was hurt. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was going, that, that was really a generous way to do that, you know. <laughs> and, wow. uh, yeah, I was impressed. I was impressed with the, the, the trees and the elementals working together to not bother the plant. Wonderful. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was really beautiful to to feel the synchronicity of life around me and death. So, you you did you do something with the fallen tree? Yeah, I cut it up for fence posts because I needed to repair the fence. (laughs) Oh, very good. (laughs) Yeah, it was a local tree. Nature, Rainbird. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So and and for for wood to heat the house and right. cook. I cook on my wood stove all winter long. And so oh, that's really fantastic! Cool. Then you don't rake rake up an electric bill or a gas bill or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's, I I I just have the the trees to that there have been a lot of trees die because of the ash beetle. And I and I built my house in an ash grove. <laughs> and I, so, I, I'm sorry. I just remember living that way, not for long periods of time, but for, for for many substantial periods of time. And like uh, I was in northern Canada, and we did that. We cooked everything on a wood stove. And yeah, yeah. And um, another time. Uh, I went to see Oshana Fastwusk with a friend of mine from Norway, and that's how she lived, and we stayed with her for a week, and we cooked everything on the wood stove. That was really fun. Oshana Fastwusk is part Mohawk and part Apache, and she used to teach about the violet flame everywhere she went, and I was just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great living that way. I lived for a number of years without any electricity, and so I build a fire every morning just to have a cup of coffee. <laughs> Good job. Good job. And that, and the ritual is really, really, it teaches us a lot about how to be in the world. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, yeah, I definitely have a lot of stories of, being in the wilderness like that, you know, memories. Okay, so... Or a cast talking stick. <laughs> okay, Rob, it's yours. Okay. Tell us what you have to share with us. Oh, this is uh, the Rumi, but she's going to get the Aurora Ray. Yeah, you might try that first because it's getting... Mm-hmm. Not sure you have time for both. It's well, it's twenty three after. Mm-hmm. It's gonna go into the late time if you do both, I think. Well, I think I'll just do this. Just roomy? Yeah. And then we can do the Aurora tomorrow. Alrighty, here we go. What's this called? The return. The return. 
wants to fly away when your presence calls it so sweetly. My soul wants to take flight when you whisper, arise. Join the royal banquet. 
Behold the countless ways this body has entrapped you. Break your steadily hold. Rise up, lift your head clear of this delusion. Reach for the holy book with your right hand. You are not like a child who doesn't know right from left. God said to the mind, return from where you came. He said to the hand of death, grab hold of worldly men. He said to the soul, fly to the unseen. Take all the treasure you can carry and cry no more. Too well. I went to see Rumi for years everywhere from Hawaii to LA to Vancouver to Chicago to New York. <laughs> Saw him so many times uh, until we meet again this afternoon <laughs> for some of us. Tomorrow for others. Uh, Satnam, everyone. Satnam, G. 13 thank yous. Honey in the heart. No evil. Live long and pro- prosper until we meet again. See you on the bridge, too. Namaste. <laughs> <laughs>